Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. And top of the morning to you, man. Have we got a great show for you? Of course, uh, it's Monday. It's Monday. There's not a. There's. We need a Monday song like a Friday song, right? I mean, she's got to get on that. That one woman that wrote the Friday song. Well, Rebecca Black. Yeah. Back in black. You know, and she didn't really write the song. It's just like three words, isn't it? It's right. No, it, it's one word. It's well, well, Friday. There, there's it's Friday. Yeah, somebody wrote, Friday. wrote the song. Yeah. Not sure if it was her. Well, or... I mean, if you've listened to the song, yeah. you know, my kid could write that song. <laughs> my 10-year-old. I think he did. Right? He wrote a song like that. Happy Saturdays. Uh, anyway, we need a Monday song. Here is the deal. On the board, Michael Pond is joining us. Hello, Miguel. Hi. You're filling in for James Birdsall. Oh, he's married now. That dude is married. Did you go to the celebration? I did, man. Did you that, like my toast? The toast was a lot better and, and longer than I thought it was yeah, going to be. Yeah, yeah. It's weird how that kind of creeps Standing on. Standing room only. I was way in the back, though. That's... <laughs> it was supposed to be an hour and 20, and it just kept going. And I was the one speaking. I'm like, I've got to wrap this up. So there's a point where you got your second wind. Yeah. You felt like maybe you were tired, but uh-huh. all of a sudden the adrenaline kicked in. Uh-huh. And then you're like, I've just remembered four more things I could say. <laughs> and a lot of people would say, nah, just wrap it up. And I'm like, I'm going to say them because it's a special occasion. Well, and I wanted to stay for the autograph signing, but I, I had weird. some other plans. I, I'm sorry about that. Well, you know, I'll sign yours later. But um, it's weird to just sign autographs at someone's wedding. That was weird. I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, it's kind of awkward. He looked great. Man, stunning. Her? Oh, him. Kaylee? His haircut. Kaylee. Yeah. 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 Kaylee looked great. I mean, it makes you wonder, like, Kaylee. James is all skinny. Kaylee's just so, beautiful. Do you do that also? You, you go to weddings and you go, who settled? Yeah, I'm like, golly. <laughs> Who's, got, who's she, trading up and who's really let's being just say nice James here. got the better end of that. They were so great. It was cute. I actually um, – I got there early <laughs> to set up the PowerPoint, met a lot of her family. For some reason, his family's not talking to me. Hmm. Don't know why. Nah. And I don't know if they were late to the reception. I don't know. But I was there early, but I was there a long time before they showed up. And then they saw him and they're like, oh, hey – Oh, wow. It's almost like they were disappointed. Okay. I don't know why. Hmm. Whatever. Oh, kind of awkward. <laughs> totally awkward. But they, they, it was great. They looked great. It's fun, to, it's fun to let your kid go, you know, the kid that we raised. It's fun to let him go. <laughs> Turn you're, him over to Kaylee. You're taking ownership of that? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, it's great, too, I didn't have to pay a dime. No. It was the cheapest wedding you've ever <laughs> had to be involved in. And it was at a... It was at a um, that you've inserted yourself into. It, what do you mean? What do you mean inserted? That sounds like negative almost. You you kind of consider, consider yourself more than just a guest at that gathering. Oh no, I'm a I'm a See, relative. You've inserted yourself. But you say insert like yeah. I like I inserted myself. No, when I found James on my front doorstep, mm. he inserted himself into my life. I couldn't let him go. He was a naked little baby. Right. You know? With the Martinelli's bottle. Yeah. 
yeah. wrapped in cellophane. <laughs> Raised him from a pup. Yeah. So I mean, no, I understand. insert just seems like it seems like a seems like I forced myself well, in there. Insurgent force could be something you would use to describe <laughs> the way you participated in the yeah. events and celebrations. I would, so it's I, I, yeah, it was. I think it was um, more than that. Okay. I think it was. Yeah, I think he's lucky. To have you? When I think of it that way, I think he's lucky <laughs> that we found him. I mean, honestly, he could have just been thrown away. Could have been. A lot of stuff gets thrown away, <laughs> but we found him. Raised him. Now he's a happy man, married to uh, to Kaylee, and sometime we're probably going to get him on the phone. And if not, we're going we're gonna to do a dramatization if, as if it were James. It, we, we will say what he would say. Knowing James as well as we know James, we will just put words in his mouth. In, oh, we'll oh, okay. insert words right, okay. into his mouth. Gotcha. I was trying to think, how are we going to, oh, right, we're just going to make things up. Yeah. Okay. What do you mean? We know him. Well, no, I understand. We know what he would say if right. he We're, we're going to make a James comment generator yeah. and uh, uh-huh. just talk to the generator as if James was yeah, here. Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. And um, any anything going on in the news? Uh, apparently, it's a popular thing to uh, declare for presidency. Today is the day of Jump declaration. In. Yes. You got uh, Carly Fiorina, the former Hewlett Packard CEO. She's geared up. She's, She's going in. head to head with Hillary. Ben Carson, he's a retired neurosurgeon. He said Sunday at a, on a Ohio or a Cincinnati, Ohio TV station that he's going to run and make an official announcement this morning in Detroit. It's great. And uh, Which is great because yeah. sometimes you're president, it might be good to have a surgeon. Right. Especially a brain surgeon. Because then when he's like, hey, it's not brain surgery. Yeah. He, like he, he knows what brain. from yeah. experience, yeah. Like he, well, could, he can use it that way. That's also, really cool. uh, I guess Mike Huckabee is going to declare tomorrow. The three, so three, three in now. I mean, it's like, well, it's like a three for one. You know what I mean? It's sort like of. now you're getting a deal. Everyone's jumping well, in now. Well, let's talk. We'll talk to Joe about that. Yes. Yeah, so we'll talk about that coming up. In an interview on uh, Sunday, Bernie Sanders, who uh, Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont, who jumped yeah. in last week, he said, "Don't underestimate me." I bet he more, said it more like, "Don't underestimate me." Yeah, more like he's kind of a yeller. <laughs> yeah, says he knows that most people don't think he'll win the 2016 presidential election, and he wants to alter that mindset. <laughs> we need a polit- political revolution in this country, and I want to lead that effort. Well, he's half right. We do need a revolution. Yeah. I don't know if he's the guy, though. I don't know. Maybe you don't the, want your president to be a shouter. Comb your hair, yeah, or hold your your his. Did you see his uh, press conference when he declared that he was going to run no. for president? No, he walked out because the the Senate was in session. They took a break and right. used that moment. He walked out in front of the Capitol. And he's like, "Okay, I really have to get back inside, so we'll have to get through this fast." But uh, I'm running for president. Any questions? <laughs> All right, let's just get that done. So everybody else makes it into this big blown up thing and he's like uh i'm gonna do this and we're gonna get back inside that's interesting see i mean that's you kind of that's why you're not sure he's really running for president no because he's he running on policy only is he yeah. just trying to influence that way yeah. or i don't know it seems interesting that he's doing this but it's kind of feels half-hearted yeah in that way in fact, let's ask joe why he's doing it hillary clinton this week is headed west stops in las vegas in california she hopes to tap into the money of silicon valley where she holds events in the area, including a fundraiser later this week at the home of the CEO of eBay. Yeah. There's money to be found, and she's going to go get it. Allegedly. I know. Here we go. (laughs) Got to raise the money.
The Clinton campaign is advertising a Mother's Day call from the candidate for a winner of an online contest they announced on Sunday. It says, sign up for a chance to surprise your mo- the mom you love, the campaign said on a Twitter message and in an email to supporters. The sign-up link goes to a campaign page where people can donate. There is some fine print that allows entry into the contest without a donation and notes that a donation does not improve the odds of winning. <laughs> so you get a phone call on Mother's Day from Hillary Clinton wishing your mother... For the low, low well, price of five ninety five, whatever if you donate five ninety five, we will give you a shot. Whatever you donate to the campaign. Wow. Do you want that for your mom? No, or my do you mom. Want that for any mom. Honestly, I don't want to brag, but I'm a pretty big deal. My mom has met Bill Clinton. My mom in London, standing there. Sees a bunch of black cars, a bunch of like nice dressed dudes in suits with earpieces. And she's like, oh, something big's going on here. So she just stops. Turning the corner, bada boom, bada bing right there. William Jefferson Clinton walking down. And my mom's just staring. And she says, he's looking at her and he's like, hello. And she's like, hello. She had her camera out. He says, would you like a picture? And she says, I would love a picture. And she has a picture she ha- he, they hand the camera to an aide, and they take a picture of my mom with William Jefferson Clinton. There you go. By the way, his hands were all over her. Well. Greatest day of her life. Old habits. Or current habits, whichever. <laughs> she loved it. And uh, again, I think that's just – we've talked about this a lot on the show. He is the greatest charismatic just lover of people. Yeah. Maybe too much. He's able to convince people that he really cares. He's the, he really is phenomenal, and I, I don't think Hillary has that. No. Now, I mean, I wouldn't mind a picture with Hillary Clinton. I'd love it. I'd, I'd be honored. She's, I think she's a wonderful person. Just don't want her to call me. <laughs> on Mother's Day. On Mother's Day. <laughs> she can call me on my birthday, but not Mother's Day. But that's their contest. That's great. So that's if you cool. want a, a phone call from Hillary Clinton, you can check out her website. Check out her website. Again, it's going to cost you. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It does not improve your chances of winning. No, it doesn't improve your chances, but you're going to have no chance if you don't give something. (laughs) you you got to give to get in this world. You would think. Yeah, something like that. Cool. Good headlines. Uh, We'll be getting to that, plus more headlines. There's a lot of stuff going on just in the news, uh, uh, shooting in Texas we'll get to eventually. Um, Just so much stuff going on. But um, as we like to do on Mondays, because, you know, all the political talk is happening – over the weekend, and uh, we, we're going to invite in our uh, Washington insider. Joe Cannon will be joining us after this break. We're going to be talking politics here on the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, I like, I actually love politics um, and not as fluent as I probably could be or should be. Or actually, actually, I don't want to be fluent in, in political matters. That's why we bring in Joe Cannon. He's our Washington insider. Uh, he's, he's pretty much done every level of politics I think you can get into. He's been a chairman of a, of a party in Utah, a Republican Party. Uh, back in the day. He also was a candidate for U.S. Senate. He served in the administration, the Reagan administration, as an assistant administrator over the U.S. EPA. 
and also has gotten into a little bit of the media side as well as an editor for Deseret News in, um, and started that back in 2006. But uh, today he's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which you can find his website, fuelfreedom.org. We like to have him on the show just to pick his brain because he either knows somebody that's involved in it or he's studied it. Uh, Joe Cannon, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks our, for having our me. Our insider. I know you love that, that <laughs> title. Um, okay, Baltimore. It's it, it it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, as an outsider, rioting, they're destroying. I think two hundred businesses were destroyed. Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in costs. Um, and the interesting thing is, O'Malley, Martin O'Malley, who's uh, was the governor, was also the mayor of Baltimore. Right. And is really the one and and one candidate that can take his shirt off. They just had a lot of pictures of him taking his shirt off, flexing right. his abs. Um, is how's this he's going, going to impact? He's going after the Putin approach. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> the minute I saw him, I'm like, oh, don't go Putin, man. But I guess, I guess, I guess they always have a picture of every president with his shirt off. That's so weird. Um, talk to me about the impact of that because he was kind of a rising star, somebody that could take on Hillary. Is this whole Baltimore thing going to hurt him or help him? Well, I, I, I don't. Obviously, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. But, but uh, he's he doesn't think it's going to hurt him. Yeah. He, I, he's I going in he's, there. He's going to announce his candidacy from go. Baltimore. So, I think he thinks he thinks that uh, the, he thinks that the Baltimore experience yeah. uh, could propel him. Uh, not quite sure why he thinks that. Although I think he was pretty well regarded mayor. I mean, yeah. uh, of, of of the city, and he was sort of I think had a reputation of. If not tough on crime, at least more realistic than than a lot of people. I, I think he would bridle, although a number of people did compare him with Rudy Giuliani yeah. in, in terms of his, you know, the kind of police tactics he encouraged. So, you know, he, I don't know which set of constituencies he's trying to uh, appeal to because the inner city minorities they're not as enamored, right? They're, they they yeah. think he's the cause of yeah. some of the policies that are anti-black. Right. Although the uh, Baltimore and uh, uh, Maryland in general has a, a very thriving uh, African American um, sort of sort of middle class and yeah. maybe ever middle class that, who who un- unfortunately all fled inner inner city Baltimore. So you know it, I, I don't know which constituency he's appealing to, but I think he he's mainly saying, look, I was a leader here, and you know. This didn't happen on my watch. Right, uh, things were calm and and pretty stable. So what happens when? And this is an interesting little, probably kind of I- idyllic scenario in a way, where he was the mayor of Baltimore, created policies which now are, some are crying and, and claiming are the reason that there was so much kind of poli- over policing of the minorities in those communities, which then, but but it created results, and. So now – Safer neighborhoods. Safer yeah. neighborhoods yeah. except minorities are like, yeah, at the expense of imprisoning a bunch of minorities. Yeah. Um, at what point does the mayoral record impact – because he was also a governor and was yeah. a popular yeah. governor. And at what point should that come back in? I mean I guess it's going to – your politics of 20 years ago could matter today. Yeah. Well, I, I think he's trying to take advantage of the fact that he was – uh, relatively, relatively well respected and thoughtful um, mayor. So I think he's actually he's going to looking it. to build on that platform. Yeah. And do you, I, do you, I can deal, you know, 
I can deal with tough problems kind of an approach. Right. Yeah. Do you think Baltimore should be used by candidates as a platform? Because it's, it's almost like you're messing with fire because yeah. it's a dangerous scenario right now. Well, I don't know. It's, uh, I doubt that it will be a very successful yeah. issue uh, for either party. But you have a basic tragedy in Baltimore and, and, and it's probably emblematic of that same tragedy in lots and lots of inner cities. I read in thinking about this problem over the weekend, I read one wag said uh, 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 sh- Chicago is uh, you know – one part Los Angeles and two parts uh, Detroit uh, in terms yeah. of in terms of the African American community. But you know, I'm old enough to remember the riots in the mid '60s. In in '64, there were a, a series of riots around the country, including I remember being in Harlem mm. just a few weeks after very serious riots in 1964, and then in '68 there was another round of of uh, uh, very serious race riots in in big cities. A lot of people harken back to, you know, they think, well, all, all this really started in the 90s with with uh, the Rodney King beating, which was itself a horrible yeah. situation. But but actually, the the deterioration of inner cities is, goes back a long way, uh, really starting in the 60s and. By most measures, things haven't gotten much better. No. Unemployment is worse. Crime has gotten better. I mean, they're, they're, the, the crime statistics are better. But poverty, the deterioration of the family in the inner cities. Uh, I read a really poignant uh, piece from a reporter from CNN who grew up right where the riot happened. Oh, An wow. African-American yeah. guy. He talked about how he got out and and how his neighborhood from the 70s is so radically different from today. And he said, and the biggest difference is the absence of mature black men. Yeah, we don't have dads uh, around. Yeah. Well, he, he was he was saying, making a dad's argument, but he's yeah. also making a – Just a uh, man just, argument. Just, hey, look, uh, you know, he mentioned a fellow that sat on his uh, front stoop and mm. watched the Orioles games and watched the neighborhood and mm. everybody respected him. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he said he's not there anymore. And it was, it was, yeah. it was a very poignant uh, piece. And uh, – I don't think uh, it pays anyone to be very glib on either side mm-hmm. of this issue. You really have so, to be careful too because the politics, it seems like it seems like we're missing uh, – I guess it was President, president Obama that said he's not the president of the white America or the black America. Or the, but yeah. it's, it, there are different Americas. It's, well, what yeah. we're hearing is there seems to be a black inner city America – that we're not getting in, in deep trouble. That yeah, and deep, we're not relating trouble, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Is there a candidate? It's ironic. Ben Carson, who's on the GOP side, who's about to announce, I think tomorrow. But he was a famed neurosurgeon at Johns Hopkins, which is right there right, right, in the in, in the downtown. But he, you know, he's probably not seen as an he's, inner he's city got, he's guy. Not, he's not seen as the candidate of the yeah. inner city. Though I don't know what you know about his story. It's uh, an incredible. Yeah. He grew up with a single mom who made them read. They were poor, and you know, it just you, you should do a program. Just I, I would on, love I mean, to now have that he's him a on. Yeah. It's a little bit hard, but uh, there's a wonderful movie about his life, mm. but way before this happened. You yeah, know, no, I think a I long time the before movie. Yeah. he uh, he got political. But he's just a tremendously inspirational story. What we need is a lot more Ben Carson mm-hmm. stories from kids who grew up in in horrible poverty 
but make it out. Yeah. I mean and 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 do something. So in a weird way, I guess you could you could have a Ben Carson that could reach that community, but probably not in a platform of GOP or I Well, mean, he's sort of running as a you know, he's he's deeply critical of President Obama yeah. and I think he thinks he's gotten some license to do that because he's African American too. Mm-hmm. And um but I, I don't think his platform is going to appeal much to inner city blacks. Okay? <laughs> right. He's, he's basically running as an Orange County Republican. <laughs> is he really? Is he, yeah. is he that? Is it – does it seem like um, – I mean I don't know. Maybe it's – help me understand how the Democratic Party – are they not letting down inner city? It seems like – it well, hasn't here, gone anywhere in so many years, 50 years of them voting that way. That, yeah, I don't want to be overly partisan on this because the inner city problem is a huge yeah. problem. But I think it is worth noting that virtually every inner city and every city that has problems has had one brand and one philosophy of politics ruling the entire it time. since the at least the 60s and sometimes even earlier so you know um i think somebody ought to say you know maybe just throwing a lot of money at this thing gonna isn't going to work it yeah. hasn't worked uh maybe there's another approach and and that approach and so if if you're a person who believes and this is you know, I think I'm being pretty dispassionate about this. Democrats believe that the answer to every problem is more government. Yeah. Okay, Republicans believe that you know, the, famously, Ronald Reagan said, "Government isn't the answer; it's the problem." In between there, there are a lot. There a lot has to be done to, yeah. to, to resurrect these these cities and these people who really are in desperate shape for all kinds of reasons. The failure of government, the failure of families, the the failure of will on the part of, of, of a lot of people. Uh, um, it's it's a tough problem. Uh, one of the best books I read as an undergraduate many, many years ago is called The Unheavenly City by Ed Banfield. And hmm. he, like Daniel Patrick Moynihan, like uh, a number of um, scholars, many of whom were at Harvard at the time, were saying, "Wait, this things are broken here. Something's things are broken not, really, really badly." Right? Here. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we'll, we'll come back and talk more about it. it. Also, seems like who's stepping up in Baltimore and actually made some headway were the faith communities, the the right. churches. Mm-hmm. It seems like so the churches seem to have more of the heart and the mind of the people. In a well, way, well, that's one of the structures out there that is is ignored. I mean, this is a problem of the spirit, a problem yeah. of, uh, of why do we even exist? What, what, what is the whole purpose of existence? And of course, churches have an answer to that Absolutely. question that, that gives a lot of meaning yeah. to people's lives. And they're having prayer meetings and getting everyone there. I mean, and again, officiating over the funeral of Freddie. And so, and again, it seems like there's there's a major role for churches. And yet we don't, I don't know, maybe that's a better place to be creating opportunities is through churches and funding like that. We'll take a break, and I want to continue the discussion. Again, we're visiting with Joe Cannon, and uh, do you remember, Joe uh, is from Freedom, uh, FuelFreedom.org. He's also our Washington insider. Um, just a wonderful man with tons of insight for us. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. As part of this Baltimore discussion, that we got to get into uh, Reverend Al Sharpton. 
slash MSNBC. So, and, the, and this weird blur between media, political figure, reverend, what the heck is going on? I'm dying to hear Joe's take on that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, joining us is our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, from FuelFreedom.org, a great website. He's He and his organization, it's a nonprofit. They're trying to basically make fuel cheaper for Amer- for the, uh, the United States of America. Yeah, and I would just say one, if I could make one yeah, little advertisement. We, we produced a movie called Pump the Movie, which Pump. Uh, just pump the movie. It's now on Netflix. You can watch it. It's gotten thousands of views on, on really? Netflix and, and lots of good ratings. And uh, Is it like a documentary? It's a documentary. And actually, when we first came out with it, it had its grand opening. On the same week, it was favorably reviewed by the New York Times, the Village Voice. Wow. Uh, you know, which is way to the left of the New York Times. And Sean Hannity featured on his radio and TV show. So no way. It, it, it had a very it, broad – Is uh, it just about – Pump costs, lowering fuel. What's it about? It's it's about choice at the pump. How to get choices in? You know why? What what some of the the disadvantages of not having choice at the pump, mm-hmm. where you can choose between different fuels that would you know vary in cost, so that yeah. there'd be competition for gasoline. Interesting. The pump. So it's called pump, pump the movie. Pump the movie. Yep. Oh, it sounds like a basketball flick or something. <laughs> um, and you can get that on Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Joe is uh, giving us some insight on on Washington. What's your take on the whole Al Sharpton thing? Again, he comes in. He's an NBC supposed, I guess, you know, anchor, but not a reporter. He's not a journalist. Yeah, I, to, to be he's fair, a personality. he's not a journalist. He's one of their personalities, and that's why he's on MSNBC because he's a, a personality. I, I would just say my kind of bumper sticker on Al Sharpton is: Has any situation where he has ever inserted himself better as yeah. a result of him being right. there or not? And the answer is, at best. He's neutral. Yeah. At worst, he's an inflamer. Provo- provocateur. And yeah. uh, and in in no case that I know of is anyone better off where he goes in except maybe himself where he enhances his own. Because uh, he's been fighting this fight for years now yeah. and you haven't seen the change. You haven't yeah. seen – I mean I haven't – again, we're still fighting the same dramatic problem. But we do know a lot about Al Sharpton. So yeah, we do. He's a, he's a fabulous self-promoter. <laughs> it does remind me of – the guy that was the boxer promoter, boxing promoter with oh, the big hair. Donald Don, uh, King. Don, Don King, King, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, talk about uh, – what, what do you think about Bernie Sanders running? He's in the race. He's in the race, yeah. No, I listened to his announcement speech. He's, uh, he's an interesting guy. I mean he <laughs> – almost everybody who runs for office in either party has to move – in one, you know, move in the Republican side, they have to move right. right. In the Democrat side, move they have left. to move left. And Bernie's the only candidate ever in history who's had to move to the center he's to, had to, come to back. try to try to, to <laughs> capture he's some so delegates. Because he's <laughs> like a, he's a socialist, basically, yeah, right? Yeah, self-described, and he uh, he's so what? So what do you think? Is is he? The Ralph Nader third candidate. What, what's his? What do you think he's doing? What's he trying to do? Well, just promote his agenda. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they ask him, do you think you can win? And he said, yes. Um, m- many lightning strikes would have to occur for that to, yeah. for that to happen. But, you know, he does have a message and it's it is interesting. Although, so Hillary's not the president, but, you know, she's the dominant front runner. When uh, more on the Democrat side than the Republican side, when there have been these sort of schismatic um, um, candidacies, it's often had a very bad bad effect. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people think Jimmy Carter lost mm. because he had a briefly a primary by Kennedy. Now, Kennedy is not a schismatic guy, but the fact that someone ran against the dominant person in that party – it just made it weakened him a little bit. Interesting. And then you do have the example you mentioned of Ralph Nader. Yeah. Uh, and that a lot of people say that cost Al Gore the election, and then a lot of people say it didn't. But right. the fact is, that he was a, he was a player. I don't think Sanders will ever be a candidate, even of the Green Party or anything like that. But he's definitely bringing up a bringing a perspective, and he will. Pull and we've already seen it. Whether it's whether it's him or whether it's Elizabeth Warren, uh, Hillary is being pulled to the left yeah. of where she normally has been. And she does, yeah. It's yeah. No candidate really wants to go too deep into the the party extreme. Right, right, right. Um, is what about money? Because he's not he's not going to have a super PAC. He's not going to have a ton of money behind him. So. I guess does he already have enough name recognition to make yeah, it matter? He's got, he's got to be counting on what's called uh, earned media. You know, where he just yeah. shows up and he's going to be in a debate or and get the the uh, press to cover his speeches. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's what he, now in Iowa. It's of course different. I mean, media helps in Iowa, but Iowa is totally retail. Yeah, you know, so hand yeah, you need, you need enough money to have a van and to you know. Get pay gasoline to get you different places, yeah. but uh, you know he's going to be on the ground. Sounds like Carly Fiorina is in today. Um, sounds like Mike Huckabee will be getting in. Ben Carson will be getting in. Of those three, are there any? Those are all on the GOP side. Anybody stand out as Carly's actually seems to be taking on Hillary. Yeah, so not one of those three people is going to be the Republican nominee. Okay. Just, I'll go out and way yeah. out on a limb and just say that they all. Uh, they either have very narrow constituencies uh, or even if they have a broad constituency, it's still a minority constituency. If you take Mike Huckabee, of course, he was a strong candidate, could be a strong candidate again. But there are a lot of people vying for his piece of real estate right. on the political spectrum. Because so, he's way yeah. conservative, uh, like evangelical kind of conservative. But you have – But I'm he's a governor, you, which was you know one of the criteria maybe I, for a better – I agree. No, no. He's, he's a legitimate, respectable – Candidate. I'm just saying, Ted Cruz isn't evangelical in the sense that he's not a pastor mm-hmm. like Huckabee. But you listen to a Ted Cruz speech. I mean, where did he announce right. Liberty College? Yeah. I mean, he's aiming at the same constituency. Right. So that that's it. Carly Fiorina is interesting. She will also never be president. I think she will also never be vice president. But she's an astonishing case. History. She clearly has the will and the tongue right. to, she's to a, and she, HP, get in the arena. Past CEO. She's yeah. got she's got yeah. some skills. She no, she's an interesting woman. I I'm a big fan of hers. It's just that 
it's it's kind of more than that, isn't she's it? Not gonna, she's not going to. She's not going to be. Uh, uh, I have a tough time taking it seriously. Do they do do these people? You've been you've worked for an administration before. Is it? I actually worked just for what it's worth. I worked in the Reagan campaign. Oh, did you too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so is that a letdown? I mean, is it a letdown for somebody like uh, at Carly's level to come in and then just take a a seat? Let's say she had a, a cabinet seat. No, no, no. She could easily be a cabinet officer, it, and she'd it, be great. And she, be is great. that something she, they would like to do, or is that like, ugh. I'm, you know, I, she's running because she thinks she's she would be a great candidate against yeah. Hillary Clinton, and maybe that's true. But she, she getting from there, you know, from where mm-hmm. she is, not. It's just I, I can't see it happening. But yeah, people who get in the in that game, they love public policy. That's what they want. They, it's a war of ideas yeah. for them. And I, I mean, she would make a terrific Secretary of the Treasury, right. for example. Oh, yeah. She'd make a terrific Secretary of Commerce. No, she, she, if she wants, she'll be a player. Is it is is there a hierarchy? Help us with this. Is there a hierarchy to all of this? Is it better to be a sitting senator than a cabinet head? Which is, I mean, for I'm, I'm thinking of like a Rubio, to put him in a cabinet position uh, no, no, he, would kill he, his career permanently. It seems like, yeah, leaving the Senate for the cabinet is a career, not career ending, but an end of career type move. Okay, yeah, yeah. so it's yeah. A retirement yeah, kind of yeah. job. Yeah, I don't, I don't see any of the Senate candidates being happy with that with the cabinet. But <laughs> vice president, they'd all take. They would all take me vice president, yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting? Because then, then you look at vice president. They all deny it and they would all take it. They take it. You're a, you're a heartbeat away from the president. Best way to become president of the United States is to have been That's vice right. president yeah, somewhere along before. the line. So it's yeah. funny. There is a true hierarchy to this, isn't there? Um, and then a Ben Carson, some would say he's just not even – he's not prepared enough in the game. I mean you got to have name recognition but you also have to just have some savvy of how to – just off Work the top the of my head, I can only think of two politicians, two people who became president who didn't have political experience. Herbert Hoover uh, was actually – he was the Secretary of Commerce, there by you the go. way. Right. And somehow the stars aligned and he got the nomination. And the other guy won World War II. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Eisenhower. Know, um, yeah, it's, yeah, you got to – but so he he, he was pretty politically yeah, savvy too. Yeah, yeah, and he played at very high levels <laughs> nationally and internationally. So, yeah, I I don't see Ben Carson go anyplace. I, I like I was saying earlier, I love his story. It's a great, great, great right. story. Did you hear um, about? So there's all of these billionaires that are putting money in, creating these, uh, I guess, super PACs or, or right, donating, right, right, and they're even calling it charity. They're just this is just them being charitable. Yeah, is yeah. political fundraising no, it's, it's charity? Nothing charitable about it. Yeah, uh, people contribute money as near as I can tell for only two reasons. What are they? Some of uh, a big chunk of people contribute money because they want access, and that's the really the dark right. part of uh, campaign contributions. Most of these billionaires already have whatever access they're going to have or they're going to want. Yeah, most of them are ideology philosophically based. And I don't think that rises to the level of charities. I saw, you know, Chris Lehane, yeah. who's a big guy for Tom Steyer, uh, and also big, you know, uh, I guess Clintonista guy. But, Poured seventy four million into the twenty fourteen election, yeah, but so, only to environmentally friendly Democrats, right? Yeah, so he he has a total ideological philosophical yeah. 
predisposition, and that's what he's pushing, and that is morally indistinguishable from the Koch brothers and their desire to influence things mm-hmm. uh, philosophically, right. too. So, yeah, I. So this isn't. I don't good think I want to get into charitable. a charity contest mm-hmm. between political contrib- contributors. I think it's great, by the way. I mean, I. I for what it's worth, I, I'm a fan of the Citizens United case. Yeah. Okay. I, I think the founders aimed at allowing political speech Allow people of to, whatever right. kind. And so I'm I'm okay with that. But when people get, you know, hey, I'm a little bit holier because I'm contributing to the environment yeah. as opposed to I'm contributing to the perpetuation of free market economics. Yeah, you're not okay. going to yeah. win that, are yeah. you? Is um, anything stand out in your head? What what uh, what politically needs to be discussed that's not being discussed? Well, I keep bringing up my favorite chestnut, John Kasich. <laughs> yeah. Okay, he's showing more and more signs. Yeah. He was interviewed is, over is the weekend. Is he smart to wait? I think he. I mean, because then well, you're not. Having... I don't know. I was funny. I was thinking about it over the weekend too. I I, I heard his uh, interview and I thought. Okay, I think I see the game he's playing. You know, look, I'm out there. I got a big, big political taw. You know, I'm the governor yeah. of a of a crucial state, and maybe I could just step in anytime I want. But there's a point beyond, you know, after yeah. which maybe that's not going to work. Now, is that next week or two months? Right, I don't know. But it's sooner or later, he's got mm-hmm. to quit playing a little bit of hard. You know, it's playing kind of hard to get. You know, you, I want to date to the prom, but I'm not really going to show. Not yet, not you know, yet. So they're going to make them come to me, and you got a lot of because he still has candidates. name recognition. He'd have to grow. He's still yeah. No, I'm going people. I what, mean, but if he steps insiders in. know who he is, but is he a target though? The minute he steps in, because he's well, that's what be. I think is what he's trying to avoid. I think he's trying to have. Well, like of course, everybody in life wants to have their cake and eat it too. But sure. in, in his case, I think he's trying to say, "Look, I'm dangling myself out there. I'm a pretty attractive guy. You know, there's a big piece in the Atlantic Monthly about him. Mm. Big, long, pretty favorable piece, frankly. Congressman, governor now yeah. of Ohio, one of the key states. You one by sixty-five percent. You know, yeah. he's uh, he's he's sort of a straight-talking kind of a Chris Christie guy. Mm. But with a little bit better of a track record, is he not seen uh, as uh, much as as a rhino? There are plenty of people who think of him that way. But uh, I, I mean, guess Chris Christie's a rhino. They're yeah. right there. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's placed in most people's minds on on the part of the spectrum that Chris Christie's in. I think he is more of a genuine. He's pro life. He's uh, you know he he meets a lot of the litmus test kind of things, hmm. but he's also been very pragmatic uh, as the governor of yeah. Ohio. I mean, it's not a red state, yeah. So he's had to do a lot of things. It's not a pure blue state either, but he's he's done enough to attract. I mean, he won Cuyahoga County. That's Cleveland. I, wow! The last time that ever went into Republican hands was, was in 1980 with Ronald Reagan, well, which is maybe what you need—somebody that can yeah. play well, and, the game and be—I mean, not the game, but can see both sides and well, make and something who's happen. Who's willing to work? Mm-hmm. Who's willing to work with with everybody? And and I think one of his particular uh, uh, items on his on his resume is. He he gets a lot of credit for having worked with Bill Clinton right. to balance the budget That's right. when he, he was did. chairman of the Budget Committee. That a lot of people care about that. A lot oh, of yeah. people say a that, that structurally, procedurally, that's kind of a the kind of a guy you want to have. A and then B, substantively, came to a great result mm-hmm. that that a lot of people, and especially the Republican Party, really, really care 
about you play that, about that card. balanced that's budget, right. and that is his card. When he, when he talks, that's what he where he's going. I I can balance the budget, and I can work with people, and he can pull a county like Cleveland. Yeah, I mean that's huge. I mean, or at least and 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 make changes that would be attractive to counties like right, that. Right, right. Impressive. Well, Joe, we appreciate you again. You did it. You're the, and you didn't think you were an insider. Well, thanks for having me. Again, You're the man. best. Again, we love having you on. Go check out his website, though, fuelfreedom.org, and go look on Netflix for Pump the Movie. Pump the Movie. It's a movie that uh, fuelfreedom.org put out uh, to just educate us, teach us more about uh, saving money at the pump. Heaven forbid. Wouldn't that be a nice a nice gift for all of us? We'll take a break. When we come back, wrap up uh, this uh, segment, first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for listening again, and uh, thanks, Joe, for being here. This uh, is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't it an interesting world? Um, Holy cow. It's just so interesting. You live in Baltimore. Baltimore's having problems. We know a lot of the the black community, you know, they feel like they're not being treated uh, fairly. They don't like certain political ideas. Then you have a black, uh, basically, professor... From Johns Hopkins, which is right there in the inner city, one of the best like neurosurgeons around, and yet not liked by the black community per se. It's just it's such an interesting world. And so that's why you can't just go black, white, Republican, Democrat. It's so much more complicated than that. Ah, interesting. And uh, speaking of politics, one of the things you may it's, it's political and news, but you may have heard in Texas, two men were killed, shot at a uh, at a caricature drawing of Muhammad contest, which you remember the the shootings in France were was a shooting that took place in the office of uh, of the organization that drew caricatures of Muhammad. Remember the whole shootout and Charlie Hebdo. Charlie Hebdo. How many were killed in that? Most of the staff. I mean, there's quite a few people. Meanwhile, in the United States, a, a fairly uh, conservative, extreme group put together a contest. The American Freedom Defense Initiative is the name of the group, and they put together the Muhammad Art. Exhibit and contest oh. in Garland, Texas. Okay, so just in my mind, they're take they're saying, okay, uh, we have the freedom to do this. Islamic extremists, here we go. We're yeah. we're challenging it. We're going to now. We have the freedom and the rights to communicate to draw pictures of Muhammad caricatures. By the way, so probably not. Yeah. Positive. No. Images, and if you want to do something about it, come find us. And amazingly, two did. Yeah, and they did. And the uh, some of the things I've been reading this morning, one of the one of the gunmen have been uh, identified on social media. He had a uh, a hashtag, something to the effect of 
Texas attack or something like that, something yeah. of that nature. And they kind of understood this guy may have been out there and he was in the area and they had security. They There's uh, reports – either. There's there's a number of ten thousand, and it was either the 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 prize for the best yeah. cartoon, yeah. or the amount of money they spent on security for the event. I heard fifty thousand for so, security, and then probably ten thousand was the prize. Yeah, and yeah. so here you have a large contingent of armed off-duty security people in, in Texas, in Texas, suburb of at Dallas, the, at this event, waiting for something to happen. Yeah, and it it almost kind of feels like. They wanted – It was a trap. And it's, they wanted someone to try to come at them. <laughs> and, I mean, again, the shootings only lasted 15 seconds. But they had a SWAT team on standby in the back of the facility. So – No, no, it wasn't like a city SWAT team. It no, was, was off-duty off yeah. police officers, security people because uh, one of the people shot was someone from one of the local school districts who mm-hmm. was a uh, security for them that was doing this on kind of on the side. And so there were some other off-duty police officers that were there, but it was a largely, uh, you know, off-duty. But they were armed, ready to go, and these guys walked into a. And, uh, and they're right. They're just saying, they well, look, we have the it. rights. We have the rights to say anything we want to say. Others would be saying, yeah, but it's you're, you're hostile. You're 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 right to say it, sure, but you ought to be respectful as well. And, you have the right to poke the bear. Mm-hmm. Should you poke the bear? Yeah, just because you can poke a bear. Yeah. Hey, and I, we just suggest on the show, don't poke bears. That would be a good idea. Literally. And, I mean, there comes – even when the Charlie Hebdo was happening, you start seeing the the art they were putting out. And you're like, why are we doing this? Yeah. What, what is the point of this? Right. And it's because they could. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And, and it was a form of protest. And then, But then they're like, well, yeah, but they showed – so we don't have the right to defend ourselves. Some people come here to kill us for our right to speech. And, well, sure. Yeah. Sure. And it's funny where you win, you win I guess, a battle – but so what? Now what? You know, now what? Now the rest of your life. I mean, Charlie Hebdo was on a top list of targets for years. So now these people will be on the list yeah. for years. And you have the right. Everyone has the right. It's just. Should you? Should you? Because you can, should you? Anyway, um, so it's interesting, but that'll like motivate a lot of people. And since I, I'm interested too that the gun, you know, that you know, if that had gone into a, a Democratic Party, there wouldn't have been one gun in the room. And hmm. yeah, you know, whatever, um, folks. It's more complicated than that. You can have rights all you want, but you also have responsibilities too, right? Anyway, it's, it's it also shows you too that you know. There's people everywhere that are still pro-ISIS, and uh, this isn't going away. It's not going away, and it won't go away after this either. It's just another situation. We're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, Hour number one's in the can. We'll come back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you uh, find the good in the world. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on this side. Welcome to the program. Uh, on the uh, keyboard, Michael Pond. Howdy. We're calling it the keyboard because it's, I wanted this to sound like we're a band. It does kind of look on like the guitar, a piano, kind of. Terry South playing the ukulele. Ben. Ben. Ben on the uke. <laughs> Ben's on the uke. He's our minstrel for the day. <laughs> I love a good minstrel. Um, here's the deal. Uh, boy, the the prince and princess have a new prince and princess. Well, they have a new princess. Grand princess. Huh? Is that what we're calling it? No. Prince. But somebody's child. Yeah. That's a big deal. So These people could be, she could be the future queen. The queen of? England. Yeah. Someday. The future everyone national else dies. landmark of a country. Mm-hmm. The, the, oh, royalty. The royal family is kind of a national park in this country. We spend it on national parks. They they send like that the tax dollars to the royal family. Yeah, but it's they're royal. Well, sure. I mean, it's a big deal. They're a massive PR firm. I think we need. I think we need more royals. Do we? Oh, we need yeah. a royal family. It seems like we have one or two: Bushes, Clintons, politics. Royals. Yeah, for the forty percent or whatever the country We've the got votes. One. <laughs> uh, Kardashian Ugh. and Kanye. There we go. Kanyashians, dins, dins, and that may say all you need to say about our country at times. If that's a royal family, I'm moving to Canada. See? <laughs> There's that's a portion so of our country that would agree with you, Matt. Yeah, There's no. another portion of our country that just rolled their eyes, and a piece of them died. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel bad. I hope I didn't kill anybody. I don't want well, just, people to die. Like a symbolic, theoretical sort of demise. You know, it's um, it really is interesting that we don't – I mean our bloodlines, we don't maybe make as big of a deal about that. You know. What, royal royalty? I think everyone's royal. You know we had the, a revolution over this. Remember the country formed yeah. based on – No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking oh. about even today. Like, just, you, you seem puzzled by the motivation for not having a royal – well, we don't need family. royalty. That's not what we need. Yeah. But we, you know, if you all cared at all about what Bill Clinton did, Hillary should be president. Right. Well, it's her turn. And if you cared about the Bushes, I mean, how sad would how sad <laughs> would Jeb, Jeb be if, if he wasn't president? But it, it's his, his dad turn. and his brother. I mean, yeah, it's his turn. Is it? Are we going to be fair or not? <laughs> <laughs> that's sad. Yeah. I mean, if you guys if we're not going to be fair, let's just get that out right now. But let's just be fair. And then someday, the Obama girls, president. Right. I mean, it makes sense. Or Chelsea. Why? I don't know if it, this is if this is true. Why did Jimmy Carter's daughter never get a shot? It's not true. But, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And are you with me or are you, are you, are you against me? <laughs> I'm not sure at this point. <laughs> That's why we don't do it. Any other news? By the way, on? yeah. Happy May the Fourth be with you. Oh, and may the Fourth be with you. Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, it is kind of. It's just weird saying it. It's an unofficial situation, but I'm sure it's being played like crazy. Today. Oh yeah, like I think Disneyland has their whole theme okay. day today because well, they have. Yeah, they own yeah. all the rights now. To Star of Wars, right? So. <laughs> They'll play that. I bet that'll be, yeah. According to legend, the reference was first used on May 4th, 1979, the day Margaret Thatcher took office as prime minister in the UK. 
An online news article from the Danish public broadcaster says her political party, the Conservatives, placed a congratulatory advertisement in a paper, misnamed the London Evening News, saying, May the 4th be with you, Maggie. Congratulations. What year was that? 1979. 1979, female uh, prime minister. And here we are, 2015. Still haven't had a female president. Yeah. A little different system, but it's a big deal. And may the 4th be with whoever. Uh, yeah. Whoever you want to apply that to. Get your, get your lightsabers and celebrate. 79. 10 years old. In other news, Carly Fiorina yeah, announces in. that she's running for, uh, for president. May the 4th be with her. It appears someone else has already picked up one of the online domains for her name and is pretty upset with her. Was that the singer Carly? Her public campaign website is carlyforpresident.com. Okay. Someone picked up the carlyfiorina.org domain name and posted a page of 30,000 sad faces for all the people she laid off at HP, at Hewlett-Packard. (laughs) And I went to it, and when you scroll, you scroll forever to get to the bottom of the page. 30,000 faces. They're little smiley, or little, not smiley, but frowny faces, the emoticons. Representing each sad person laid off. Yeah. Which, she would argue, kept... HP alive. Well, yeah, and and at the end, her comment is, uh, "What what was her comment about doing this?" And she said that she wished she could have done it faster because it would have saved Hewlett. See that again, but see, most people don't understand business like that. That right. you know, well, you have to lose some to keep it. So they're unhappy with that. So there's that going on. If you want to hop online, I thought that was kind of that's fun. why you need robots. Robots don't get mad like that. They right. don't have smiley emoticons. You put them in a warehouse and you're done. Nepal continuing yep. to uh, recover, I guess, from the, the earthquake of last week. There have been 70 aftershocks which have kept the country's population on edge. The U.N. now issuing warnings about the spread of disease. In addition, humanitarian groups are having a, a trouble reaching isolated villages. Runway damage forced the government to close the main airport Sunday to large aircraft delivering aid to millions of people. Hmm. They fixed it, and I believe it's back open, but uh, they had some problems there. Rescuers working in Nepal have pulled a 101-year-old man who was buried alive from his home. Oh, wow. He was saved on Saturday after his home collapsed in the earthquake on the 25th of April. He is currently in a local hospital in stable condition. An additional three women were rescued on Sunday, though it's unclear if they were buried for as long as the uh, gentleman that's 101 years old. He was in there for (laughs) almost a week. I wonder if he's, like, happy. They show. I, I've seen. I've seen it. footage. He's sitting in the. I, I wasn't even like. I mean, they, he was sitting in a hospital bed, just yeah. kind of eating some food, hanging out. So, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's that's great. Great news. Nepal's government is asking foreign rescuers who came to the country to to assist with the disaster to go home. Really? Because if you're, I mean, they're 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 at a point where they feel like they can handle the city. If you want to go out to the outlining areas, do that or get, just go ahead and go home. Get out of our hair. We're done. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. They said they had more than 4,000 rescue workers from 34 countries came to Nepal after the earthquake, and I, it might be just too many people. I saw the news locally, uh, and a couple that they were there. They were in, you know, the downtown where that uh, that tower, that that iconic oh yeah yeah tower collapsed. I mean, they were right there, and they were you know they're devastated. They're shaken up. Yeah. It's it was horrible. They saw a ton of death. There were people in that tower. Ah, it was it was bad. Amazing. Baltimore City lifts the curfew. Yes, that was on for all week. The 
The mayor said effective or yeah, the mayor said effective immediately. I have rescinded my order instituting the citywide curfew. My goal was always to not have the curfew in place a single day longer than it was necessary. Doesn't mean that the parents can't keep a curfew. Right. And so, I still think they have the curfew for people under 16. I that's think good. It is. But that was there before. Curfew kept me alive. Over the weekend, Chris Christie had some uh, allies of his, people that were in his uh, gubernatorial uh, offices, kind of indicted over the bridge gate, the bridge oh, closing yeah. fiasco of 2013. Um, another person that was close to him was also indicted. That person is saying that the governor knew, knew all about it. And he's saying, I still, no, no, I had no idea. I know nothing. But regardless, the uh, Newark Star-Ledger is saying in an editorial that uh, the scandal isn't over and the state is a mess, which means it's time for Christie to give up his doomed campaign for president and focus on being New Jersey's governor. If he won't do that, he should at least stop accepting his $175,000 a year salary because, let's face it, the man is not doing the job we hired him to do. See, that's a great question. I mean, at what point do we quit running for elections and just do our job? Come on. Interesting. So there's feelings that he's neglecting his duties. Well, yeah. Apparently he's been in Iowa a lot. (laughs) Well, he's just visiting relatives. Or future friends, whichever. (laughs) Iowa is such a popular place right now. Straw polls. You'd think without without you know that being the first electoral battlefield, I wonder what would Iowa would be. A well, flyover state. That's yeah. That's what like the rest of us. Right. The rest Something of the country. That nobody ever pays attention to. That'd be my guess. Iowa, hang on to that. You've got some power. <laughs> hang on to that little bad boy. Interesting. Yeah, because you wouldn't get Chris Christie. I mean, honestly, do you think you'd get Hillary Clinton driving a Scooby-Doo van all over Iowa? No. You have to have have a reason. The first straw poll, the historic... uh, Just a flyover. Indicator of possible future presidential success. I milk that, Iowa. Yeah. You milk that. Just, you prolong it. Everyone's pro-ethanol. Everyone loves hog farmers. And then they leave the state and you never hear about it again. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. And see, every state needs to find some way to prolong the political process so we gain power. Hmm. Utah's in trouble. I don't think they'll ever get that. Uh, Good stuff, my friends. Um, When you think about it, it's it's just politics, right? But uh, we're constantly, constantly judging people and found a really interesting article by Martina Weiss about how you judge people. And uh, we do it all the time. It doesn't matter. You're judging your neighbor's yard. You're judging everything. You're judging your kids. We are constantly out there evaluating how everyone else is doing. Martina Weiss will be joining us. She is going to be teaching us that maybe that judgment is really about ourselves. So if you want to maybe be a better judge, listen up. Or uh, if you're tired of people judging you, also stick with us through this break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be focusing on judging one another, how to uh, how to do it, uh, I guess, more effectively up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, have you ever just been judged 
You felt like people don't really know who you even are, and yet they're still commenting or, you know, being rude. Judgment. We're all being judged. It's a very common process. And I uh, found a wonderful article by Martina Weiss uh, from the website coachingwithmartina.com. Also, she's a contributor to, the, uh, to a website called tinybuddha.com. And uh, she's here to teach us today. She's a coach, a self-love coach. And she's here to teach us that maybe when someone, when you are judging another person, maybe it's more of a reflection of you, right? You've heard people say that. Your judgment of others is probably a bigger reflection of you than of others. Let's go to Martina Weiss. Martina, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. You bet. It's so great to have you. And uh, I really enjoyed that article that you shared in Tiny Buddha, uh, the website tinybuddha.com. Talk to us about judging others. What, uh, what, what, what do you feel about that? Why, why, do, why do people feel such a need to judge everyone? Yeah, I mean, um, we are in a world where we constantly compare ourselves to others, right? Yeah. So we, we are... Um, we see someone and we think, and, and our mind immediately analyzes, analyzes us and analyzes that person and uh, thinks, okay, do I look that same way or do I look better or do I look different or, or do I look the same? And then, you know, whenever we, we our ego uh, thinks or we think that we don't look like that other person, um, we, you know, our ego rings the alarm bells and says, Oh, wait, 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 wait. And then it thinks about something negative. It thinks about something that we can judge that person so we can feel better about ourselves. Yeah, it's almost like we need to put others down so exactly. we can elevate ourselves. Exactly. That's, it's, like, it's basically like a power game, right? Yeah. I, I put you down so I feel better. When someone else puts me, puts me down, that other person will feel better about him or herself, right? Right. So when, when we are, I guess when we're being judged by others or we hear of judgments by others, we could probably just reflect and recognize that that's just somebody that is, is just fighting themselves, right? They're just battling their own sense of value. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because... You know, if we would all, I, I always ask myself, I mean, of course, I'm also judging, right? Yeah. I mean, I used to judge much more in the past. <laughs> I now know how to deal with that, but um, we, now I forgot what I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that idea, I, in fact, it's interesting that you pointed that out, that we, we're judging for um, really self-protective reasons. So even even a, a coach that is coaching people every day to manage their judgments of others, they still judge. That's part of our kind of just natural tendency as humans. Um, and we just need to maybe just, I guess, like you're saying, pay, be more aware that we, we, do, we have that tendency. Absolutely. And, and yeah, when we, come, when we come from a love, from a place of love and compassion, you know, if we would, like, be totally at peace with ourselves, if we would be at peace with ourselves, uh, we would, you know, we would um, also judge less because then we would be, have the ability, you know, to to accept every person as he or she is, and um, you know, we we would just send out compassion hmm. instead of judging. And of course, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily happen automatically. 
Um, but what we can do is, yeah, that we really, really learn, you know, how this works. And really, it's me, um, like you're saying, having self-compassion, and, and you call it self-love, um, right. which which it's just me being being okay with me, not needing to push anyone else down or away. If I can just be okay with me, I would have a much less of a need to to do that to others. Absolutely, because then, as I said before, we can I can accept you know the difference of that other person in front of me, mm. right? I I wouldn't need to put that other person down so I feel better because I anyway already feel good about myself because I know that I that I'm lovable, that I'm worthy. So it is more easy. It's much much easier to. Just accept that person as he or she is. Yeah, and and it, it's it's so funny because um, I also by judging you, I feel actually better. So in a way, it it pays off to judge you. So my body is actually getting paid off chemically to feel superior than you, which is probably why it keeps, there's this reinforcing chemical process that seems to be going on that makes me feel better, but I'm also probably going against my own value system, which over time will make my need to judge you even more. Right. right? So it's a self-defeating yet self-reinforcing cycle. Right. Absolutely. How do we, how do we start to change it? How do we, how do we start to have more self-love or how do I start to, um, to change my need to judge others? Yeah, so, so um, in my eyes, and I'm convinced about that, um, the, like, the number one reason um, of, for me or, or for us uh, judging others is because I don't accept or fully love myself, right? Right. Um, as we said before. So, um, you know, it's, it's, there are many, many things that have to be done um, when it comes to self-love, when I learn, want to learn how to accept myself more and love myself more, um, I went through this process myself um, last year, the entire last year, actually. And um, it's, a lot about, it's a lot about realizing certain things such as, you know, that you are worthy the way we are, you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about um, giving yourself compassion. It's about especially stopping that negative self-talk, you know, the, the doubting, blaming, attacking voice that is constantly, like, um, yeah, next to you or inside of you. Um, this, is, this is really, like, the core of, of when it comes to learning to love yourself more. Because um, that talk yeah, just keeps then, going on, doesn't it? It just keeps firing and firing and bringing up more and more examples of how, how inadequate you are. So if you could Absolutely. silence that, you'd have, you'd have some hope. Absolutely. And, and, you know, exactly, we can silence it. We can learn how to deal with that voice, right? It's, it's not the right way to, to fight against that voice or to, to neglect it or to say it's not there. That's the, right, that, that's the wrong way because it's like a, a ball filled with air that we're trying to push uh, below the water surface, you know, at some point. When you, when, you, you know, when you don't have the strength anymore to keep that ball under the water, it explodes, like it comes up. So yeah. it's very important that you first acknowledge that inner voice because it's there, right? And then to, to learn to deal with it. And the first, you know, the first thing uh, is to get aware of it. 
that's always like awareness is always the number one thing that has to happen when we want to change a habit or a thought or this this self-talk. And be aware that you do it. Is that what you need to pay attention to? Be aware that you do it. Be aware what your voice is constantly saying. Absolutely. Like, for example, next, you know, I tell my, I look in the mirror and then I see myself and I think, well, I look really, really bad. You know, I, I don't like how I look like, or, or this voice is telling you, oh my God, look at you. Yeah, you're right? fat. So that, yeah. Exactly. So that you really get aware of that voice first and say, wait, wait, stop. Yeah. Because what we are usually doing is that we are um, identifying ourselves with that voice. You know, we are not even challenging that voice. Mm. We just hear, oh, look at you, you look really bad. And then um, we just accept it like this. We think that it's us who says that. But it's just a part of us. It's our ego. It's our wounded self that wants to protect us, that wants to prove, you know, something to ourselves Mm. or to others. And, um, yeah, this is actually what is going on. So we have to get aware um, of this voice and then, uh, you know, distinguish between that voice and ourselves. Yeah. I I love the idea that um, in the end it's it's not who I am, and I think that's huge um, because we don't necessarily know who we are. We we think our voice is who we are, but it, it might just be a pattern. It might just be a habit. Let's take a break. I really want to, Martina, continue the the discussion of how we maintain our awareness to it and and how we start maybe rewriting what that voice is saying. It's, it's just that simple awareness that you are not what you always think. And, and I'm a big believer that you shouldn't also always believe what you feel. A lot of our thoughts and a lot of our feelings aren't coming from our healthy self. It's coming from our false self, our ego, not our essence, not our light, not our goodness, but our weakness. Uh, we'll, we're going to continue this discussion about judging others and also coming to know yourself and loving yourself on a very basic level. More with Martina Weiss from coachingwithmartina.com right next on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Don't you hate that feeling when you know someone's judging you? You know, have you ever tried to get on an airplane with your ch- with a toddler or a child, and you just see that look of everybody as you pass them row by row, and they're like, are you kidding me? Ah, oh, you know, it's hard. It's hard. Let's be honest. We never know what's going on in the lives of our fellow men, so judging them may not be the best thing, especially when it comes down to a lot of times your judgments are much, much more about you and what's going in, on in your heart and your mind. So joining us is Martina Weiss. She is a self-coach, self-love coach, and makes the uh, point that when we judge others, it has more to do with ourselves. You can go to her website, uh, which is called coachingwithmartina.com, and uh, she's also a contributor for the website daily, uh, no, what is it, tinybuddha.com. And I'll, you can follow her on Twitter, at Live True Self. Um, just, just a great uh, tool. And we're learning a lot about ourselves. Her first point she was teaching us is that we need to start being aware of our inner voice. Be aware of what stories we are telling ourselves. Martina Weiss, welcome back to the show. 
Thank you so much, Matt. Great to have you. And um, I, you also made a really important point that a lot of times we can't tell the difference between our our inner voice um, and kind of our ego voice. So the ego voice, which isn't necessarily who we are, we might be more our essence, our our goodness. And yet there's this side of us that is always in fear or always in competition with those around us. Right. Talk about right. the voice. And our, and our voice, what I wanted to say, our voice is, all, uh, the ego is, um, I, I also call it the wound itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we were young in childhood, we were told to behave a certain way. And if we didn't behave a certain way, uh, we got punished or we got withdrawn law from our parents. And in that, you know, when we were children, our survival depended on, on the love of our parents, right? Yeah. And I'm not now blaming the parents here, absolutely not. Um, the parents, you know, I'm convinced that, that all the parents are doing or were doing the best they could, you know, or, and still are doing the best they can um, with the resources they have available or had available in the past. Yeah. So it's really not about blaming the parents, but um, we are, when we are being punished as a child, you know, we, like, we, we start to detach from a part of ourselves and we, because we learn that a part of ourselves, like whatever is perceived as bad, is not good enough, right? So we start to diminish or to hide that, that part of ourselves. And um, this is actually how things start to, you know, how, how we unlearn, start to unlearn to love ourselves. Um, and that's where the ego comes from. The ego is a, is a hurt part, a wounded part of ourselves that is trying to protect us from feeling that pain again or from, you know, from taking risks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is why we would then feel a need to judge another. So it's a, it's a weird thing because if we're coming from our wounded self, uh, no, ma- no wonder we want to judge another and just kind of spread the pain. Just spread exactly. the pain and get it out there. Right. At first, it's, I mean, on the one side, it's, it's spreading the pain. But on the other side, it's also trying to make us you know, feel better about ourselves mm. again. That's a very, very important point. And this is what we're doing when we judge others, right? Yeah. We're putting others down, and then we, and, and we lift ourselves up at the same time. And we need to do that. It's like, because, you know, we, we lost, like, connection with ourselves, and we think, or we still think in, in adolescence and adulthood that we are not good enough the way we are. Right. So we are constantly trying to, you know, feel better again. Now, Martina, I can hear the cynic out there thinking, oh, come on, Martina. This, I mean, because people, some people just are dumb. And they do stupid things, and we need to judge them because they're just going to keep being hurtful to us. Um, what would you say about that? Because you don't want to just keep being hurt by people that are also hurting. That's why we judge too. What would you say to the cynic that right. thinks you, judgment? You still got to just protect yourself, right? I mean, um, you know, I, I do believe that in our essence, we are all good, you know, human beings. Yeah. And um, for me, when people develop aggressions or, or you know, um, have this need to hurt others, um, they are lacking self-love. Because what happens in, in the childhood at some point is that, 
I mean, we are learning to please others in mm-hmm. childhood. Yeah. So we get the love and attention and validation we need, right? Right. So we disconnect also with, our, with a part of ourselves. And uh, what happens then is that we start to become dependent on the love and validation of people around us, right? Because we cannot give this to ourselves anymore. And what happens then is when we are being drawn, uh, withdrawn love uh, or we are being hurt or disappointed, we, we start to develop this deep sadness. Um, you know, we start to develop anger, and some people start to develop aggressions. Hmm. So, um, yeah, this is, this is where, you know, the, the negative emotions come from, that we, we are dependent on someone else's love and approval, and what, if we don't get that, well, then we really feel bad. And self-love, is, is, that's why it's so important to learn again, um, how to love yourself, you know, and to, to realize that you are worthy the way you are. Yeah. Um, and the entire, like the entire you, also your weaknesses, also your, your bigger belly, that's a part of you. And we have to learn to accept that and to, to love that on us again. And if I, if I continue to justify my judgment of another, that's still going to end up causing me pain because I'm still operating out of my false self or my wounded self instead of out of my highest self. So every human feels justified harming another human because the other human was harmful first. But it doesn't matter why we're justified to go against our our essence, our goodness. We we Every time we go against our goodness, we end up hurting ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, and it's, but we, our mind is so complicated about it. So part of your goal was to become more aware of when you're speaking out of your wounded self. And then what do we do with it? What do we do, Martina, once I'm noticing I do it and I'm noticing that I tell a lot of stories and I, keep, and I never question my own stories? What else can I do? Yeah, so um, once you got aware of that voice, um, you, the, the easiest thing to, to continue with it is to name it. Name what is right now uh, going on. Name what, what this part of you is trying to tell you. For example, um, yeah, you look, okay, there is this voice um, telling, telling me that I look really bad today, right? Yeah, name yeah. it, because what you're doing in that moment is that you're detaching yourself from that voice. You don't, you stop identifying yourself with it. Yeah. And then what is the next, the, the next step is to challenge that voice. You can ask, like, well, what if that voice is wrong? Or what if um, I don't look as bad as I perceive myself right now? Yeah. Or um, you can also ask, and that's a very important question, uh, again, um, wh- what, would I, what would I do or what would I say if I ca- came from a place of love and compassion? Right? Yeah. And at this point, you're moving the focus from your mind to your heart, and you start to empathize and to understand, and you start to send out love and compassion, which is basically the last step. It's like, you know, it's about really changing, uh, challenging that voice and to still giving yourself uh, love and compassion. Hmm. I mean, what's, what I love about that, too, is... By challenging it, you can start seeing other things. I mean, there's other evidence that you're beautiful and lovely. You may just notice 
yeah, I, may, I maybe my hair's not done and I don't have, you know, I'm not dressed the way I wanted to be dressed today. But that's because I was talking to my mother on the phone and feeding her and, and taking care of her. Or, I mean, it's there's other data that your your ego won't point out. It won't always point out when you're healthy. It, it will because it's there to protect you from when you're not and to make sure you you don't you know lose, fall away from its power or control. So I love that by challenging your thoughts and then and then you basically I guess you're saying build a really strong ability to challenge your thinking and 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 find love of yourself regardless Absolutely. of what your ego and then that changes your ego right? Absolutely, it changes my ego. It, it and it changes the ability to accept myself the way I am, you know, that's, yeah. that's like a very, very important part, which, yeah, which we, we actually don't know anymore how to do that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we're, we really, we don't, we, this is a part of us that we don't spend a lot of time on, which is, I'm sure, why you have the website, coachingwithmartina.com. It's, this is a great skill we've got to notice, is my judgments can be, you know, I can just judge and not ever notice it, or I can start to go in and look at myself a little deeper. We've got about uh, 30 seconds or so. Help us understand, Martina. Give us one thing that if you, if you think about finding love and appreciation for yourself, what would you say is the one thing that makes the biggest difference? The one thing is to learn uh, that you are worthy the way you are because once you know you're worthy the way you are and it is a process you are going to you you will stop being dependent on on how others see you yeah. you will you will know that you are worthy and that that you are perfect the way you are mm. and um, you will you will have the ability to give that love to yourself so I love that. It's really like the core is to become de- independent on the voice of others. Love it. Because then you can also distinguish between constructive criticism towards you or words and words that are just, you know, um, expressed to hurt you. Yeah. No, I think it's so powerful. Martina Weiss, thank you so much. Everybody, go check out her website, coachingwithmartina.com. You are worthy. You are great in and of yourself. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, this judgment idea, this self-love idea, a lot of people, for some, it's just so squishy. Oh, just love, love. But the, the reality, folks, um, and I see it all the time, we, we all have, we all just are carrying such junk, so many stories and beliefs of who we are that are so misguided. And I, I've, I had a chance this weekend, um, quite an honored uh, chance. It was a beautiful honor um, where a friend of mine, I've talked about him on the show many times. His name is Ralph Smith, 99 and about two-thirds years old, okay, 99 and two-thirds years old. And he's, um, he's, always, he's been my mentor, basically. He's been a friend. We adopted him about seven years ago and... He just, I've just loved the dude. Well, he died, and I had the chance to speak at his funeral. 
Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about him because for me, he is the exactly what we were just learning from Martina. He is the epitome of that. He was a he was ninety nine and a half. He was born in nineteen fifteen, died in twenty fifteen, uh, but. He, he changed my life. In seven years, I've, I've never in my life met a human being um, like, like Ralph Smith. Humble as ever. He was uneducated um, until 70-something, 72 or three years of age. He went back to high school, got his GED, and uh, graduated, got his GED, and um, – Proud, proud moment, uh, but he was one of the first people to receive penicillin west of the Mississippi many, many years ago. Um, however, he wasn't rich. Um, he wasn't famous. He wasn't powerful. He wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't hold office. But every day he would just serve and take care of people, and he was happy. And And I remember asking him, where does all of his happiness come from? And he said, because I'm blessed. I've got so many blessings in my life. And I'm like, how? How? What do you mean? You're old. Your wife died. You want to die, but you're not dying yet. Why are you feeling so blessed? And he said, seriously, I wake up every day. I have a God that I believe in. And if he hasn't taken me off this earth yet, then it's not my time to go. And other than that, I'm just going to be happy and, and be me. I can't be anyone other than me. And so he would serve. He lived in a, a kind of a, a senior facility and would get up and um, for months could just walk around and would go talk to everybody. He eventually uh, couldn't walk around as easily, so he drove his little jazzy around. Um, up to about a year and a half ago, he was still driving a car. He was healthy as can be. Now, here's what he taught me, though, and some of the things that I found and was able to talk about at this funeral, um, million stories, and everybody had heard his stories, and he loved sharing his stories, but the number one thing he would do is he would just serve people, and the service is what made him happy. It's not, uh, you know, not his conditions. He didn't expect to be happy because his conditions were great. He expected to be happy because he was serving. And he would he would take care of other people. He would always hold hands. And um, the minute you walked in, he would cheer and scream like, yay, like he was so excited that you were there. He would give your your his full attention to you. My kids for seven years had the chance of seeing him regularly. He became their grandfather to him. But what he taught me more than anything on earth is how to love a person. And he had a wife that was named Barbara, and for 74, 75 years, I believe, they um, were married, okay? 75 years of, of love. Now, it wasn't—it was really interesting because she was a really tough cookie. Wonderful woman, incredible woman, but, and he loved her with all of his heart, yet she, was, she wasn't always happy with him. One time he got bucked off of a horse— right into a big pile of manure in his yard. He had a huge farm, basically. And uh, he was just filthy, dirty. And he thought it was pretty funny. And he came over and wanted to give her a hug, and um, she got all mad at him, and she basically made him take a shower with the hose in the front yard and was not letting him in the house till he was perfectly clean. 
Um, there were times, too, that she wasn't happy with him. She wasn't, uh, you know, she wasn't always calm with him. And he would just go out to the yard and work in the yard and fix the yard. And, and yet, uh, I'll never forget, every time we'd go over and see him, he'd be sitting right next to her and um, holding her hand. And he taught me, that's just how you do it. You just you just love her. And I asked him once, how do you not get so mad at her when she's mad at you? How do you do that? It seems like it'd be, it'd be really hard to not be ticked. And he's like, well, because I love her. I know, but she's sometimes mean to you. Yeah, that's all right. We're all mean. And I just love her. So he would just live it. It, it wasn't magic. And he never got into any of this psycho stuff where about psycho psychotherapy and he never went to therapy with her and he never did stuff like that. He didn't, he didn't need to, he just forgave her and he didn't judge her now. And I sat there and I I compare him to so many of my other clients that have such a high need to judge their spouse. And they're so convinced that their spouse is the one that's doing all of this harm. And yet my great friend, Ralph realized it's not going to do him any good to just be justified not liking her because she's got issues. At some point, we just need to quit using the stories to justify why we are not doing what we need to do. And what he needed to do is forgive her and serve her. Yeah, but he's being walked on. And interestingly, he never felt like he was being walked on. Every time she'd even attack, which wasn't often, but when she would, he would just take it as a chance to learn. So how are you doing on that front? Would you rather have a story that is justified about how somebody is so messed up and hurtful, or would you rather work on you? Well, what if they really are? What if they're being abusive? If they're being abusive, we can't talk. We can't have that. So go get in your safe place. If you're being abused, you got to get away. Go get the help. And then when you're away, what I would suggest you do is you become the change you need to be. Whatever you need to work on, you work on that, right? You've got to work on it. Ralph being justifiably rude to his wife because she was rude to him wouldn't make Ralph a better person. And one of the things we all basically said about Ralph in the end was that he's the kind of guy that in the end was the perfect epitome of somebody that comes to this earth and learns to just become godly. He just becomes an incredibly honorable, amazing, decent man. He wasn't necessarily born that way necessarily. He may have been, but he also just became that by making better choices in his life. And then he attributed all the good in his life to his God, and he attributed the bad uh, in his life to to things that he could improve, and he worked on it. And he wasn't perfect, but he suffered loss. He lost a lot of friends when they were young. He had a tragic accident take place in front of him where somebody he loved dearly was shot and killed. I mean, he's seen a lot of things. He lost children. He lost grandchildren. But when you're 99 and three quarters, you pretty much have lost everybody. But he was a beautiful man, and he became a beautiful man not by luck and not by stories. He became a beautiful man by just not gossiping about people. He became a beautiful man by every time somebody would treat him poorly, he wouldn't justify that as a way to go treat the other person poorly. He would just take it and turn it into love. He would take pain and he would convert it into love. Well, he sounds perfect. No, he wasn't perfect. He was just a dude. 
But he's a dude that changed my family's life and changed thousands, I think, of other families in the end have been impacted by this guy. And again, not famous, not nominated, not voted into anything, not, you know, never made millions, just worked his little part of the world. So can I just challenge all of us to just get rid of the stories? They're not making you better. You're not more justified because other people have hurt you and now you're justified to be angry at them. You will never go anywhere if you remain justified to be angry. All the great thought leaders, all the great wise teachers of our world have all taught at some point you just need to let it go. And you become the change that you need to be in the world. And I learned that from Ralph Smith. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to miss the man. But honestly, too, he's a guy that was so excited. to. His wife passed away a few years ago, and he wanted to get back with her as fast as he could. So we would, re- we would really pray for him as a family to die in a good way, to go be with his God, to go be with his wife, to go be with his family and the kids that he had lost as a young father, uh, to go be with his brother, uh, people that had passed away before. Anyway, we've all got it. We've all got it. We're not here to be perfect. We're just here to learn. And as soon as we start understanding that our pain in our life, no matter what, is not always – it's not coming from everybody else in the world. It's coming from me and my response to what's going on in my world. As soon as I get that, I can start to become the change. Doesn't mean there's not really abusive people in the world. I, I'm not saying that. There are. And – Chasing them doesn't help you. You've heard me use the quote a million times from Stephen Covey. It's not the snake that bites you that kills you. It's chasing the snake that drives the venom to the heart. So chasing somebody that's hurt you, being unforgiving, being judgmental of them, it will never suit you. It will never serve you. You're so much better than that. You were made to be so much better than that. You are a being of infinite worth, right? And don't play small. You're playing small does not serve the world. Marianne Williamson teaches that. We're going to take a break, my friends. Hour number two is in the books. And uh, when we come back for the next hour, we've, uh, we're going to be doing more headlines as well, of course. And we're going to be talking about goal setting. Have you ever noticed that sometimes if you set goals out too far, they're not, they don't move you? We're going to talk about setting your goals daily and the power of that. Uh, we'll be going over that in the next hour. Plus, we'll be talking to the guys from BYU Sports Nation and reviewing our hero of the day, This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. morning it's like our it's like our sound bed just ran into a truck welcome to the program everybody this is the matt townsend show i'm your coach your guide on the side we do what we can on this program to help you gain the tools you need to live lover live longer love stronger and lead a healthier life it's a good it's a good show we've had a good show we've missed um james our young boy james Boy James, married. He's apparently not coming in this week. Uh, yeah, not dedicated. It is a common he's thing on a to do when honeymoon. You get but I'm sure he's listening. Because if you were on your honeymoon, of course you'd listen to the Matt Townsend show, right? What What job did you have when you got married? 
I was an ambulance, EMT on an ambulance. Did you have any way of paying attention to your job while you were on your own? Oh, I kept a scanner with me 24-7. Right. I'd show up at accidents. I'm going to guess he's ignoring the fact that he has any other responsibilities this week. Really? That's what kind of a mini vacation You think? You you don't think he's... You don't think you think he's probably focusing on his wife more than focusing on the show. Yes. Absolutely. I don't think you know James. Really? Yeah. James loves this show. He's he's texted me fourteen times. I doubt that. This morning. <laughs> like James, dude, really, you gotta focus on Kaylee. It's like I know, but just wanted to know how you're doing. I'm sure. You're, you're right there on the top of his head. He's like, wow, I wonder what Matt's doing this morning. I know, it makes me sad. He really hasn't. He hasn't texted once. Yeah, he's busy. He's rude. Well, anyway, whatever. Whatever. So we had a great weekend. Uh, just Sunday was just free day. Day of rest. And I took it. And it makes my wife mad. She's like, why do you always rest on Sunday? I'm like, it's the day of rest. So I don't get a rest. Stop saying yes to everything. <laughs> yeah. Then just, yeah. Be more like me. Yeah, say no yeah. more. That makes her really happy when I say that. Yeah. So what's uh, what's going on in the news? Well, apparently if you want a uh, handgun, yeah, best place to find one, uh, just laying around, will be at the U.S. Capitol building. Really? Yeah. People just have guns? A young child found a loaded handgun from a security detail in Speaker John Boehner's bathroom. Capitol Hill, in one of the least three instances when Capitol Police misplaced their Glocks this year. This is according to so roll call. one of the cops, probably using the restroom, yeah, just had to wash his hands, set, set his the gun, gun down. down. Yeah. And then when people take tours, when you go into a, an office of a senator or, or a representative, sometimes they take you on tours. <laughs> and uh, you can go into their office, and if the door's open to their Mommy, bathroom, look what I found. <laughs> there's a gun. What the? Gone, gone, get down, get down. Uh, it goes on as the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's security detail allegedly left his Glock and magazine stuffed in the toilet seat cover dispenser of a Capitol Visitor Center bathroom stall. So the Visitor Center, the public bathroom. Yeah. Well, it's hard to remember your gun. Uh, it was found by a Center employee. This was in January. That was in the toilet? No, no, uh, they have a, what do they call it? I just read it. Like a toilet the paper. The seat cover dispenser. You know, oh, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. Little, oh, yeah. So he just stuffed it in the little dispenser next well, to the stall Yeah, the it probably there. just has like a belt clip, and you just clip it, and then you he, ta- he takes it out because you don't – that just weighs down your pants. <laughs> so the minute you unbuckle it, clank, you don't want your gun dropping a- on the ground. April 16th, a third Glock was found lying in plain sight by a janitor cleaning a bathroom at the Capitol Police headquarters on D Street. Oh, it sounds like a great so, game. Find the Glock. Find the Glock. <laughs> Where are you going to have it okay, now? Okay, boys and girls, today on the tour, we're going to play Find the Glock. One of you finds a handgun. So ran- you win a special tour. Random firearms may come in handy, as there's a certain uh, segment of our population who believe the government is set on a uh, mandatory takeover yeah. of citizens. It's called Jade Helm 15. Have you heard of that? Jade Helm 15. Jade no. Helm 15. Uh-uh. It's the name of a military exercise planned for this summer that has some people on edge and preparing for a military takeover. Online petitions and town meetings. In uh, Texas, have le- led Governor Greg Abbott to announce that he has ordered the state guard to monitor the mi- military exercises to safeguard the safety, constitutional rights, private property rights, and civil liberties of all Texans. 
This according to so, NPR. So people are worried that the government's, uh, the government's going to take over using a, the ruse of an exercise yes. and uh, military exercise, and then they're going to descend on, I guess, apparently starting in Texas. Yes, they're going to go after everyone who is seen as um, disagreeable. Yeah. You're a malcontent. Right. And then we'll take you, we'll take you, we'll put you into a re-education camp. Oh, man. And we'll make you one of us. Kanye West is in trouble. What's the actual exercise? Is that the exercise? It's a military exercise. There, as it goes on, it says, uh, this was too much for Abbott and fellow Republicans, including former Texas State Representative Todd Smith, who accused the governor of pandering to idiots. (laughs) The... The two-month simulation will take place in several states, including Texas, Utah, and parts of California. Oh, sure. In opposition to the project that started in Texas. There's a map online. If you look up Jade Helm 15, you can see a map. Maybe it we ought not promote that. In Google, It's all over the place. Okay. It's in Google image. Um, governors in the state of Utah and Texas and several other places have had to talk to people and reassure them this is just a military exercise. They're not trying to you know, arrest citizens. That's, but what do you over. expect them to of say? Of course. Well, what's funny, though, is the map lists Utah, Texas, and Southern California as hostile. See, they're, they're, Yes, I see the they're, map. They're listed as hostile. Uh, the U.S. Special Operations Command says the exercise will take place in remote areas as to not disrupt day-to-day life. Military officials say the areas were chosen because of similarities to overseas combat areas. Afghanistan, so, yeah. Central Europe. Uh-huh. But you know what? <laughs> they Honestly... They did pick the wrong part of the country. They did. They could have done this in the Northeast, it would have been and fine. everyone would be like, whatever. But they don't have deserts. They don't have vast open wastelands like Afghanistan, where you can go yeah. train in harsh environments. They also didn't have gun-toting. Yeah. You know, and it's better not to go anti- ahead and release a map listing certain states as hostile. But I think we've learned an important lesson with the Glock game, find the Glock up in, in the capital. The way if, – if – this does turn into a hostile takeover. I'm just telling those people. Wait till they have to till the the militia or the military people have to go to the restroom. Yes, they'll then misplace their gun. They always misplace their gun. Absolutely. Then that's when you take them. That's when they're vulnerable. Hmm. And the one of these two stories you can use for Sports Nation later on. Yes. Okay. A Carl Moore, 73-year-old man who hails from the foothills near Sacramento, California, says a black bear threatened his dog outside his home last week. Ooh. When yelling failed to uh, to scare the bear away, hey, he challenged away. it to a game of fisticuffs. Uh-oh. He was, I raced both hands in the air, and I cussed him out, Oh boy! yelled at the bear. But when the bear ignored him, Moore ran up to the animal and landed a punch known as a whirling haymaker. Ooh. The bear didn't appreciate Moore's knuckle sandwich and ran off down the road. Witnesses were happy to corroborate the story and uh, describe the animal as being about five and a half feet tall and 300 pounds. The so man he punched had a the bear, bear in the nose. And he's like... The voice thing didn't work. Hey, get out of here, you bad bear. So he decided to run toward the bear. Yes. And then in a haymaker type a, a, of punch. A whirling haymaker. Whirling, whirling haymaker, which is like where he winds up his hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then just he like in the cartoons. pounded the bear right in the kisser. Right in the kisser and he ran away. And it would be a great story, but then there was witnesses, so, so it's, it's a true, true story. So we know it's a true story. So there's that one. Was he inebriated? Um, if you see the interview with him. Possibly. Possibly inebriated. <laughs> also, okay. this one is a, uh, a Florida story. Those are always fun. Yeah. A man and a woman have been arrested in central Florida after police say they stole more than $300 worth of meat from a grocery store. 48, 48-year-old Doris Rowe and 54-year-old Kenneth Edwards drove 26 miles to a Winn-Dixie store where the store manager saw Rowe stuffing meat and other products 
and into her pants, despite saying, "Hey!" Despite saying the manager stopped, uh, deputies say the manager stopped Roe, and she hit the manager in the neck. Did she use a haymaker, a whirling haymaker? Could be. As she did, she dropped pork ribs, two <laughs> packets packets of detergent, and three water filters. Run, honey, run! Roe fled the store and got into Edward's truck. Deputies apprehended them later. Both were charged with grand theft robbery. Deputies found a ribeye steaks, ground beef bacon. <laughs> pork ribs, and a gallon of bleach in the car valued at $361. Hey, uh, ma'am, do you have meat in your pants there? If you add up all the things she dropped and the things they found in the car, <laughs> how much did she have I mean, stuffed? I, they said she put what it all in her pants. For? What did, They're yeah, doing load of wash? What's too? going on? She had detergent and bleach and ribeye steaks oh, and bacon. <laughs> you know what? Only in America. Only in America would you have a bear story yeah. where a man punches out a bear and a woman punches out a butcher. In the neck. He punch, the, punched, yeah. her, punched the, the guy way, in the neck. neck shot's a horrible Now, guy. if you think about it, if you want to stop somebody, you punch him in the neck. Punch him in the neck. Yeah. And, or, if you don't want to be stopped, you stuff a bunch of meat in your clothes <laughs> and some bleach and get, your, get running. And water filters. She dropped three water filters. <laughs> Honey, did you get the Brita filters? <laughs> Okay, because I got some pork roast and some. That some is crazy. How random! I mean, I get it. Okay, you got to rob the bank. You got to rob the store to get your meds. Right. Maybe you're. Maybe, Give me my heart meds. Yeah, but they go to the butcher butcher yeah. section and start taking. And the filter. Get a filter. And you don't even get a brisket. We need charcoal. Grab a brisket while you're there. Charcoal's so heavy, honey. Stuff it in your pants, honey. <sighs> Stupid criminals. Love them. Where would we be without them? Good stuff, my friends. Hey, there. Uh, there's the news for you. Isn't it great? We talked last hour about judging. What's great about news like that is you already know you're better than a lot of people. Because you're not going to rob the store and take filters and meat and bleach. Just go right to the meat. Hello. We'll take a break, my friends. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Daphna uh, Oysterman and be discussing some research that they did on goal setting. Would you believe that if you put your goals into into days instead of months, it's more motivating? You know, something that's five months away is different than something that's 150 days away. It feels different for us. We'll be talking about it up next right here on the BYU Show on Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever left parts of your incredibly long to-do list, you know, just left it to the future? Leave it out there. You know, let your future self worry about some of the things you need to accomplish. Well, uh, according to some of the latest research, one of the things you might want to do if you want to make a goal actually work or uh, take place is you might want to start breaking your time units down into smaller units, right? So instead of planning months ahead, years ahead, maybe you ought to be planning daily, days ahead. And our, our next guest, uh, Dr. Daphna Oysterman, is joining us. She was uh, one of the, um, the co-partners uh, on a study here with Dr. Neil A. Lewis about 
time and how we use time and, and, and how time motivates us or, or doesn't. Dr. Daphna Oysterman, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. We're honored to have you on the show. Talk to us a little bit about uh, your research and what you learned about how we break down our time. Sure. So one of the the key questions for all of us is we have goals, things that we think are quite important, things we really care about, and we we later find to our dismay that we've failed to carry them out. So we have we have uh, fitness goals, we have studying goals, we have saving for retirement or for our kids' college education goals, and um, it it seemed to me to be rather interesting that that people have the goals, believe in them, want to attain them, and yet often fail mm. to start yeah. soon enough. Uh, in order to, to realistically attain them. And anyone who's ever uh, crammed for a final knows that uh, at the end of it, you swear to yourself that you're not <laughs> going to do this again, right. yet you do. Um, and Americans uh, don't save enough for their children's college, for their retirement. And the problem with that is that much like cramming at the last minute for a final, time runs forward. And when you think about compound interest, the way in which you can end up saving the large sums needed for college or for retirement is by starting soon and putting in money over time. There's really no way to compensate for failing to start saving in your 20s once you're already 50 unless you have enormous sums of money to put on the table, which people don't. Yeah, generally don't, Uh, right. Right? And people fail to understand how much the compound interest can either work for you or against you. And so what we wondered was, is there a way to help people by creating a, a sense of eminence, a sense of, of urgency, a sense of immediacy for future goals? And I, I should start out by saying that it's, it's not the case that there's something the matter with us, that we focus on the present rather than the future. That makes perfect sense. All, all of the ancestors who failed to notice the, you know, the lion looking in the bushes because they were thinking about next month's lunch right. um, are no longer around. So all of us are, are wired to focus more on the things that are pragmatically relevant, that are immediately important. And so the trick has to be making future events feel eminent, feel included in the in the present rather than excluded and something that a future self can deal with. Well, you think about that retirement, um, you know, graduating from school with a degree, all of these things are they are they're they're years away. And you're saying we've got to figure out as a, as a way as a human to make them feel some some imminent, you know, pressure in the now for us. Yes. Huh. And, and what did you find out in the study? Well, what we found out, we, so we started, we, we, the, the studies are uh, broken in two parts. Uh, in the first part, we asked in some ways a, a, a simpler question, which is, um, does thinking in more proximal units, days versus months, months versus years, does thinking in more proximal units make a future feel closer even when we're not sure when it will actually happen? Hmm. So once you start studying for a midterm and you think about it as being only days away rather than weeks away, does that increase your sense that it's going to come sooner? Yeah. Once you start saving for your wedding um, and you think about it as, as you know, being weeks away rather than months away, uh, months away rather than years away, does that make that event feel sooner? And the answer was yes, whether we were looking at college students or adults. Huh. So just using, even once, when you've already started acting, still 
thinking in, in more proximal units makes the future feel more eminent, which means you're going to invest in it a little bit more energetically. Is there, is there a limit of that? Is there, I mean, if it's, if it's 365 days away, that seems farther away for me than one year. Yeah, and so people are kind of divided when I tell them about the studies. Some people say, wow, but it's a lot of days. Yeah. Right? And other people say, well, that's obvious. Days <laughs> are, you know, equal years. Days. That's right. And so that's really why it's necessary to, to run the studies rather than just go with our gut. Right. Because, you know, our guts are divided. Sure. Um, and as it turns out, across all of the studies we did, people really ignored the large number and focused on the unit. Hmm. So if you think about, uh, you know, being the parent of a newborn child who's going to be ready for college in only 18 years or in 6,750 days, <laughs> that's a lot of days. Yeah. Or saving for retirement that's going to happen in 30 or 40 years or in 10,000 or 14,000 days, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of days. And what we found across all of the studies, no matter how many, you know, those, you, we're talking not only, you know, a few hundred days, but 10,000 days, 14,000 days, across all of those our participants focused on the day rather than the number, hmm. which we think is quite interesting. And not only that, but the size of the effect was the same, whether it was 18, 30, or 40 years away. So once it's not right now, and you're thinking about it in years, um, that seems to be the thing that matters rather than the number of days. And we ran a, a total of seven studies our participants in one study were college students. All the rest were adults ranging in age from 18 or 19 to 61 uh, and even 63, 63 to 71 in one of the studies. The average age was 31 to 33. So these are not, you know, it's not that, that this is a bunch of 17 and 18-year-olds who sort of can't imagine. That right. These are, these are adults, and yeah. the size of the effect was quite large. People started, plan to start saving uh, four times sooner in the day's condition rather than the year's condition. So it's a, hmm. it's a large effect. It's reliable across these different uh, ways of thinking about it, across these different large periods of time. And we then said, all right, is that because it just feels more important when you think about it in days versus yeah. years? And the answer is no. Huh. Everyone says it's quite important. Of course it's important to save for your, your child's college and for your own retirement. So importance isn't the thing. Then we said, all right, well... Our, our theory is that the reason that days makes a difference is that it makes your current and future selves feel more connected. It's as if that future me is me now, rather than being some other, you know, old person. Yeah, some abstract uh, idea. So, right. And, and so we ask people things like, um, uh, the, you know, I, I just can't imagine being the parent of a college student. Yeah. Or uh, the way I am now and, and who I'll be as a retired person just feel completely different and reverse-coded those. And, and what we found is that people in the day's condition said that they felt more connected to their future self, hmm. that future self yeah. felt more congruent with their current self. It was as if they were including that in their mental representation of me now. And that reduced their impatience. So in that study... We, instead of just measuring when will you start saving, we gave them a series of choices, which economists describe as a, a metric of temporal discounting. And what that is, is you're, you're asked each time, which would you prefer? And you're given a choice between less money now and more money later. Hmm. And the, uh, the size of the difference, you know, is it $10 now, $15 in a year, uh, you know, $5 now, uh, $20 in, in, in two months. So each time the 
amount of the time before the, you get your money and the amount of money difference between now and later changes. And what you can then do is calculate uh, people's impatience, how much more money they need later to not spend now. To yeah, save. it's fascinating. And what we found is, yeah. that, is that people in the day's condition felt more connected to their future self, and this reduced their impatience. Okay. And that makes sense. If, you, if it feels like it's the same you, you're going to invest in that you. Whereas if it's not the same you, you need an awful lot of money to say, okay, you know, current me doesn't get it, later me gets it. <laughs> right. It's interesting because it really is connecting. If I'm not connected to me in, this, in, the, in every goal, in every long-term dream, in anything long-term, I'm, I'm just not going to respect it. I'm not going to do something with it. Uh, and I can, I can already see the theory of it working in my own life, knowing that I have – this many years till I want to retire, or this many days till I want to retire, the day idea, I, I know how every day goes, and I know that I can't waste a day. But, uh, you know, over time, whatever, we'll see. We're talking with Dr. Daphna Oyserman, um, a researcher, on basically helping us understand how time can create, uh, can motivate us or in, and incentivize us or maybe disincentivize us. Let's take a break, come back, continue this discussion. discussion. Interesting uh, research um, about uh, how we can maybe motivate ourselves a little bit more with time. We'll take a break, come back. More with Daphna right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we're talking about how you go about thinking about your time and time in the future, especially. Would it be better to say, you know, if you've got to start planning for something that's 40, let's say, how many years? 40 years away. Would it be better to start your savings for college uh, or retirement by saying, you know, 30 years from now? Or in 10,950 days, which one of those two numbers would be more motivating for you in your goal setting? Would you believe that actually putting it in days probably increases your motivation? In fact, the results showed that viewing the time as a number of days was associated with participants planning to start saving four times sooner than when the time element was expressed in years. Using 10,950 days for retirement savings would actually motivate you to start retiring earlier than just saying 30 years from now. Isn't that fascinating? And joining us is Dr. Daphna Oyserman from USC. She's one of the co-authors of the research. Uh, Dr. Oyserman, thank you for being on the show. And really, it's, it's such a simple concept, but who would think our brain would work that way? I mean, it's crazy. It, it is on the one hand, but on the other hand, I think it, it makes perfect sense. We need to take care of the things that are right now. We need to act on the things that are in front of us that, that require our attention. And things that are later are only probabilistic. They're not for sure. Hmm. Things that are right now are for sure. And days, so, days are for yeah, sure. Days are for sure. What, what you've got on your list for today has to happen today. Interesting. And I guess that was true, too. You found in some of the research that um, uh, using days, some people would, if, if an event, uh, let's see, how did this go? The results showed that when participants were primed to consider the time in smaller of two possible units, um, like uh, days versus months, 
people would see the event about 29.7 days sooner when considered in days instead of only 8.7 months sooner when considered in months. Is that, is that part of the study? So the first, the first two studies were asking a separate question. So when we think about the future, there are two possibilities. One is we know exactly when the future will occur. It's just a long time away, right? Like say yeah. for college in 18 years or retirement in 30 or 40 years. And the other version of that is um, it, maybe it's not 100% clear when the future will be, but you're acting now. And, and that first set of studies was saying, does acting now create the sense of eminence um, that you've got to, that apparently since I'm acting, it is going to happen really soon when we think in the day versus the more proximal unit huh. condition. So that's shopping for a friend's birthday party. Does that make the birthday party feel sooner if you think about it from, as days right. away rather than, 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 than weeks away? Studying for a midterm or, or, or preparing for a work project, if you think about it, it's happening days away rather than weeks or months away. So that was the first, the first study. And there what we found is that thinking in days rather than months makes it feel like it's almost a full month sooner. Thinking in months rather than years makes it feel like it's 8.7 mm. months sooner. So it, it does create that sense that a future when you don't know exactly when it will be feels sooner. What if we want? Acting. What if we want it to go faster? I mean, what if like what if I don't? What if it's not something I need to prepare for? I just I, I sent my son away for two years to Mexico to go on a mission for our church. Mm-hmm. Would it be better that I think of it as two years, or would it be better that I think of it as however many you know days? That's an interesting question. So that's yet another issue about about time. Sometimes. Um, we, we want time to go quickly because it's, a not, it's an unpleasant yeah, time. Yeah. And then the more segments you have, the longer it'll feel. So probably you'd want to have larger chunks. Talk years, yeah. yeah Interesting. Yeah. Um, talk about what we should do just in our everyday goal setting then. You know, if, I, if I'm setting a goal and I want to, you know, be healthy and moving towards something, I, I, is, is the ultimate learning from this that I need to break it down into its most basic proximal into, into time segments that are that are smaller uh, and relevant so um, if you're thinking about you only have your kids home for 900 weekends mm. then each of those weekends really matters after that they're 18 they, they're, they're gone yeah they're, they're gonna you know they're young adults they move on to other things um, on the one hand on the other hand you can make the units too small to matter so in a series of studies, Neil, who is a, a graduate student who's working with me, and I asked a different question, which is to say, well, what if we're not thinking about our personal goals, but we're thinking about more communal goals? So we're thinking about things that we can do that are uh, environmentally friendly. What's the best way to think about the environment? Climatologists often talk about the climate as changing over centuries. Yeah, right. But centuries are longer than a typical human's lifespan. Yeah. So if we make that change in units that feel relevant to your own lifespan, does that increase people's willingness to take action? And is that because the information that's closer simply feels more accurate? Hmm. And that's what we found. This is a series of, of studies that we're currently writing up. That's what we found across studies. However, in our early piloting, we said, well, how close is too close? And thinking about climate change on a yearly basis, that's too close. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't feel accurate yeah, at all. That's yeah. like it's just swamped by error variance. So centuries so, don't help and years don't help. 
Exactly. You have to get the right the, that that's the right range. So, you know, it's probably not a good idea if you're having a, a health and fitness goal to say, well, if I haven't lost weight between yesterday and today, then apparently I'm off track. <laughs> that's right, right. right? So, so, so measuring your weight in days is probably a bad idea. Yeah. And so I think the answer isn't, is it days versus years, but how do I make the metric feel proximal enough to be meaningful mm-hmm. and not so proximal to just feel silly? Oh, interesting. So I don't yeah. say for my college, my, my students, my uh, child's college uh, savings account on the hour, right? right That's right. Just silly, right? Fascinating stuff. I, it, I, and I think it's so powerful, I mean, to think of even the environment about my grandchildren's world. And so yes. all of a sudden now that's just two generations, right? That's my kids yes. and my grandkids. Now it's now it's pertinent to me. What do I and want them to go really through? Really the I think an interesting thing that we're currently beginning to study is does helping people see themselves as being generationally linked, does that sense mm. of continuity, is that another way to create a sense of of of, of eminence, of, of need to act? Yeah, man, brilliant stuff. Well, Dr. Daphna Oysterman, we appreciate you. Keep up the great research, and uh, we're going to keep learning from you. I, I love the idea of how we need to know how we fit into our into our world, our, our present self versus our future self as well. Uh, again, Dr. Daphna Oysterman from USC, wonderful research on time. We're going to take a break, my friends. Come back. Talk to the guys at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. And, uh, you know, more fun, more interesting stuff right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to go down to Studio B, our good friends down there from BYU Sports Nation. Gentlemen, may the 4th be with you. Gold for wealth for themselves. <laughs> That's Sir Walter. Are you there, gentlemen? Oh, I can't hear you. He's a poet. He's a courtier. I can't hear you, gentlemen. You know what? I know you're there. You're just sitting by. I'm sure you've got your lightsabers out just playing a little uh, lightsaber fighting. I know how it goes. We're having some technical technical difficulties. But, uh, oh, I'm bummed because I wanted to ask you about rugby. BYU took the national championship in rugby. I need to bring up PCR and I knew that you were going to be doing that. I, I knew you'd bring up to, uh, to, you know, to my delight how BYU took it national championship in rugby. Anyway, while they're working on the technical difficulties, it's, a, uh, it's an interesting time, isn't it? Um, here we sit. At a crazy time, ooh, at a crazy kind of moment in our lives where we we sit here, we have so much love of sports, we have so much love of um, other opportunities in life, of growing, of development, of just our, t- like we talked about with Dr. Daphna Oysterman today, just how you organize your time. We now have research that the best goal setting you can have is, yes. are, guys, are you there now? Right, can you hear me? We can hear you now. Yeah. We've got a little bit of an echo effect going Can on you? down here, That's but right. oh well, let's That's go good. with it. You know what? We had some kids that came in on tour, and they were playing with all the buttons and switches, so I'm pretty sure that that's what's going on. It's always the kids. <laughs> we, let, we always let the women come in and just run all the boards. Hey, guys, tell me about BYU rugby. I was so excited. National championship again. 
four times in a row. It's big time. That's huge. It's really and big time. Coincidentally, we're talking about four consecutive national championships on May the fourth. I know May the fourth. Reminds me of the Idaho City Firth. Pardon? There's so many. I'm in the Firth First Ward. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Firth? The Firth. There's a city named Firth. Firth, and you're in the Firth Ward of the Firth. May the Fourth (laughs) be with you in Firth, Idaho. It sounds like we have a speech impediment. Yeah. Hmm. That's okay. That's fine. Um, Rugby winning the national championship is big time. I I was up there and— Did you call the game? No, I did official stats. So I was—me and a a player at Utah, we kept stats and then would relay it down to the truck. They'd get it on the broadcast. But do they not know that you you actually don't count? Well— a BYU grad did call the game. Really? His name's Todd Harris. Yeah, yeah. He, he does World's Strongest Man. He does Olympics. Oh, that's cool. He's great. He's yeah. legit. Yeah, I think he lives up in Ogden. Too um, legit to quit. Exactly. Yeah, he called the game. Um, now, and BYU wins. They beat Cal. Listen, I was uh, f- for four years, I was roommates with all rugby roommates. I was the only guy that wasn't on the rugby team in my award, so everyone thought I was on the rugby team the whole time. Is that why you have cauliflower ear? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so for a long time, BYU couldn't beat Cal. <laughs> Like five or six years, they just got worked yeah. hard. And then in 2009, they broke through, beat them by three, and then I think lost two more times after that. But they have won three out of the last four against Cal. Cal didn't play in the uh, 15s version of rugby. Um, there's a sevens version, which okay. is going to be in the Olympics next year. It's basically like three-on-three hoops versus five-on-five yeah, basketball. Yeah. That's kind of the difference there. So we. So what did BYU play, seven? Uh, 15s. The oh. sevens tournaments cater to television broadcasts. Mm-hmm. So later this summer, like in Philadelphia, I think, they'll have the sevens tournament. BYU does not participate because they finish on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Is it a smaller field? Same size field. Wow. So there's a ton of space out That's there. And they play 10-minute of... halves, oh, really wow. quick games. Yeah. So That's BYU, cool. in the full version of the sport, has won four in a row. That's amazing. Which is really significant. That is significant. Cal is really good. They are a part of their athletic department there. BYU's is not. Oh, really? Yes. That's sad. So they get uh, more funding, more support, more, you know, it's a better experience for those do, do, athletes. Does BYU get, like, free wristbands, though? BYU bands? Wristbands? <laughs> to go play in the, yeah, the sweat. basketball in the Richard Bell. I mean, they, that's four national championships. That's a big deal. Yes. They have T-shirts that are super snarky. They say, no scholarships, just championships. <laughs> that's cool. They have a great relationship with the athletic. Yeah, I bet. But they do. That's it's cool. really cool that they won again, and it was it yeah. was a great game. And uh, I think the people that went to it and or watched it enjoyed it. Does um, how come Spencer? Are you are you feeling okay? Because you're oh, being yeah, so I'm quiet. I'm, I'm just glad to be here. Yeah, Jerem's, just... Jerem's the rugby expert. And he's the official stats guy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's totally true. I'm a, I'm a fly half. <laughs> hey, Jerem, I thought about you the other day. Oh, um, there was this guy named Carl Moore who's a 73 year old man. Mm-hmm. And um, and I guess I, I get I thought of Spencer. Let's just put it that way. Oh boy, yeah. And this guy, uh, his a bear was attacking his dog, so he went out there and gave oh, yeah, him. And he fought the bear. He he punched him in the face. Yeah, that's where <laughs> he a punched bear the bear to be in the face. Naturally, you thought about me when you talk well, about punching bears in the face. Well, because I, I thought of a whirling haymaker, which is your favorite punch. And yes. this guy set up a whirling haymaker. And brought down justice on the bear. We were My, all hoping for that between Floyd Mayweather yes. and Manny Pacquiao. Exactly. Yeah, that was kind of that was that was disappointing. Well, the pre-fight festivities stole the show, man. Why what? Jimmy J- Kimmel. Who's yeah, in what your was entourage? that? Why yeah, was Jimmy he... Kimmel? Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel's walking him down. He interviews. He interviews Manny Pacquiao before every fight in L.A. and Does they become he? good friends. Okay. 
So he wanted to blatantly mock Justin Bieber with his outfit. Yeah, yeah. Justice Bieber. <laughs> that was classic. And, and Bieber and, and was the with Burger Mayweather, King. and then there's the Burger King. I know, that is the weirdest <laughs> thing in the world, man. It was awesome. I'm like, is I this a so commercial, or is this going Saturday on? was so fun watching That was cool. Good I know times. the fight wasn't great, but it was. It was. Fun. Are you guys bringing that up on your show tonight? Today? Oh, there, there may be a fight okay. reference. Are you going to have the Burger King at your show? Because I think that'd be fantastic. We're, better we're having than, Ronald we're McDonald better than the on Burger our King. show. Yeah, we. we Let's <laughs> talk the McDonald's. Why didn't crew. Taco Bell have a mascot? They did. They do. They yeah. do. You'll get a Taco Bell. The, well, that oh, was like the Chihuahua. The years ago, dude. He's the still the mascot. Chihuahua? He's the uh, emeritus <laughs> the, <laughs> mascot. The, the sad thing is, he just sits there and shakes. It's a, it's a redhead, redhead girl. Name Wendy, apparently. Oh, yeah. Del Taco? Can they compete with that? Yeah. No. No, they can't. Um, Zupas. Well, anyway. <laughs> you don't want to know what the Zupas is. <laughs> Hashtag women's car. It's, it's, anyway, it's a Z-pack. It's a penicillin pack of uh, antibiotics. It's a strawberry. Zupa Z-pack. Hey, guys, have a great show. Uh, it sounds like a great one. You got it, brother. Uh, sorry we had a little trouble finding you. All good. We're gonna we're gonna we got to clean out some of the women's conference stuff. <laughs> we're gonna have some of the rugby guys. Johnny Lin- Johnny Rugby is gonna be on the show today. So check it cool. out. Cool. You guys are the best. Good job and great stats, Jerem. On the uh, great way to be the official stats person. He's the guy. What a stud. Okay, guys, have a great show today. Firth. Firth. Peace out. Firth. Firth. <laughs> He's in Firth place. Uh, great. Great stuff. Um, anyway, we've got to uh, we've got to finish this thing out, my friends. Uh, Here's the deal. Got to show, tell you one more hero story. We always like to end on a hero. How about this guy uh, from Oklahoma, Chickasaw, Chick- Chickasaw, Oklahoma? Listen to this. Police were chasing a man on a motorcycle who had fled the scene of an accident. He was leading cops through a local neighborhood, driving at speeds of over 60 miles an hour. Then Floyd Briggs steps in. This is not the same guy that punched the bear, by the way. Floyd Briggs says, I'm not doing this anymore. This guy's got to be stopped. He ran out in front of the motorcycle in the middle of the street and put his hands up in an attempt to stop the motorcycle. He says, I got to get this guy uh, to stop before he hurts a little kid. And then the motorcycle, you know, tried to avoid him and they, he crashed right next to Briggs, Briggs's home. And uh, boom, he took off running. They caught him, arrested the dude. And now... This wonderful man uh, is now Floyd Briggs is getting the city award for bravery and concern for his community. He said, I did use some strong language today that just, you know, it's not how I talk normally. Some of the words I used, I was pretty worked up. I'm sorry for that. He's apologizing for his language. But the dude, you know, single-handedly stopped a fleeing criminal. Huge. So, Floyd, you're our hero of the day. You didn't have to put yourself in harm's way there, and you still did. So we appreciate you. And uh, your willingness to stick up for the community, all of us, we should all be even better at uh, taking care of our community. That's the show, my friends. Remember, we can't do it without you. So join us every uh, Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time. We're here to give you the tools, the ideas you need to live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier relationship. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Have a great day.